When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to episode 62 of Tendy Talk, presented by the BLPA and the Hockey Podcast Networks. I'm your host Joe, better known as Wash Up Goalie on social media. This week I chat with a former high school goalie partner of mine from Brother Rice High School of Chicago and a current candidate for the Vista City Council in Vista, California, Dan O'Donnell. Dan and I haven't talked in probably close to 20 years, so it was nice to catch up with him. A note about next week's podcast, though. I'm taking the week off between Christmas and New Year's. You probably don't want to listen to podcasts anyway during that week because you'll be busy with friends and family. So use this time to catch up on past episodes or re-listen to your favorite episodes if you do want to listen. So, without further ado, let's get to the conversation with Dan. What's happening, sir? Not much. How are you, Dan? I'm good, man. It's been a long time. I, I was just thinking about it. It's got to have been at least 20 years since we've talked, not on Facebook. Yeah, I mean, I I think the last time I physically saw you was an alumni game. Yeah. Back in like 02 or 03, somewhere yeah. back there. Yeah, I want to say it was probably 02 because I was still in college. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was the last alumni game I've been to. Um, yeah, that was one of the yeah. last times I skated with, uh, Mike Walsh too. Cause he, he didn't play his senior year. Yeah. Yeah. It's but, crazy. It's, it's, it's funny how quick time flies. Yeah, it is. I, I was thinking about that. I was like, God, it, it feels like just yesterday we would be uh, playing roller hockey at that little <laughs> elementary school next to Macaulay after, after school, and then all head home in time to grab some food and then head to the rink for practice. I know it, it's, uh, when I think back about how much I played hockey as a kid, it blows my mind because only playing once a week now, you know, my body's not 18 anymore. And no. while my mind still thinks I can play like I did when I was younger, it definitely is not the case. But we were also out, we were roller, rollerblading every day playing or we'd be on the ice six days a week. So it's, yeah. uh, it's a very different time now. Every now and then I'll play in a uh, weekend tournament for charity out here. And, you know, they pack in four games into a weekend. And then it's, you know, I got my league game on Sunday night too. So I'll play five games in a, you know, 48-hour span. And I'm like, Jesus, I'm no. old. 
I can't do it. Yeah, it reminds me of how old I am. Now, the, the one benefit is they've all been with my old equipment. So I'm mm-hmm. kind of excited to see how this next one goes with modern equipment. That's a little nicer on the knees. Uh, Joe, I'm, I'm telling you, man, compared to the stuff we played with when we were younger, it, it's night and day. Yeah, I, I'm loving the knee stacks. Uh, you know, all these young boys, they wear these big, bulky uh, knee pads mm-hmm. under their breezers. That's what we call them here in Minnesota. And so I've just gotten used to it um, <laughs> under their breezers then under their pads. And I'm like, why, why? Like mm-hmm. when I skated, when I first started at St. Jude, I had brown leather pads and nothing underneath them. You know, yeah, I got hit there quite a bit, but then, you know, like when we were in high school, kind of that thigh board was coming in, but still it was just like, eh, deal with it. And, I don't know if you remember those old pot coho pads. Yeah. I had. Yeah. So those didn't have any knee protection. So if you went down without butter, like outside of a butterfly style, you were getting hit right in the thigh. Yep. So I used to have bruises after every practice and every game, just running up my legs. Yeah. I don't remember if I still had my Coopers when you were a freshman, but then I went to those cohos and the cohos, <laughs> They had a thigh board, but it was just a thigh board in name. I mean, it was about yeah. that thick. Yep. <laughs> you yep. know, it was like, it, it It really provided nothing. And yeah, I mean, it, it was not uncommon for once the season started that thigh was just always bruised. It was like, yeah, yeah it, it is what it is. God forbid we actually got hurt and had to go to the hospital and, you know, doctors take a look at our legs and be like, do you feel safe in your home? <laughs> I'd be like, yeah, I'm, why? I'm, <laughs> yeah, that's why I played my entire junior year on two broken toes. Yeah, and, and luckily for Christmas that year, um, my dad went and bought me some Prospect Vons, and so they had the thigh boards in them. Yeah, and uh, much better protection. So, but they yeah. were they were they were tanks compared to the the senior spec cohos I was wearing. Yeah, that had that inverted triangle um, mm-hmm. graphic, the the Chris Osgood pattern, as I call it. Yep. Yeah, yep. th- those those were good pads too. I, lo- um, I love those pads. They just got heavy. Yeah, <laughs> considering the ones I just got out of were from the same era. Yeah, they got heavy, but yeah. you know, at the same time, it's like that. That's what we were used to. I, I was just yeah. reading um, the latest in- issue of Vintage Tendy Magazine, and they're talking to Grant Fuhr, and he talked about you know in his career the the game changed so much i mean he was he came in wearing a fiberglass mask mm-hmm. and you know the the pads kept getting lighter and he's like no <laughs> i i need some weight on my so he was actually adding weight back into his pads as they were going lighter because that's what he was used to yeah which is which is nuts i, I don't know if these stories are true but i remember hearing stories when belfort would get like a new pair of pads he'd roll them over with the the bus yeah uh, the travel bus just to break them in yeah, wow. there, there's a, a great new podcast series. I, I think the score is putting it out. It's uh, titled When Goalies Were Weird. And they start out with um, Hashik, Wah, uh, Hextall, and this week's was Eddie Belfour. And they were talking about, you know, how he was kind of crazy with his equipment. And, yeah. um, you know, I, I remember asked when I had him on the podcast, ask him a little bit about it and, you know, him and Dane saying, you know, yeah, they'd be at home taking pads apart, trying to figure out how they went together. And yeah, I, I'm surprised he didn't have his own line. Yeah. I I'm, <laughs> I'm shocked. I, I, uh, I know that he would not let anybody sharpen his skates. No, no. So, 
And it's funny because I hate sharp skates. Like I, I physically can't skate with them. I, I made the mistake when I got the new stuff of sharpening my skates for the first time in two years. So, I mean, with new equipment anyway, I was going to, you know, be a little nimble out there, but my biggest issue was the skates being too sharp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. one of my teammates hit the nail on the head. He's like, you look like a baby giraffe out there trying to find your legs. And <laughs> somehow I still had a good game. So it was funny, but it was like, yeah, that, that is the best way to explain it when I get my skate sharpened. Yeah. I, I get them once a season at the beginning of the season, just so they can dull out by the end of it. Yeah. The, the only time I was able to get them sharpened more often was when I was working at Oakland Ice Arena because they they had that pro shop where that that fellow I I never remembered his name but he, I don't know. he designed skate blades for Rydell figure skates and he had Olympians that would send them their skates and so oh, wow. he was the only guy that would sharpen them and I could walk right on the ice and be like be fine yeah it was just you know get those edges back get the nicks out uh, but the, the place I took him to most recently Strauss skate shop, but they're known as the oldest pro shop, I think in North America, not just the country. They've been around for years. And I mean, they had three skate sharpening stations going and everything else. <laughs> I mean, they literally have one station for five eighths, one for, you know, they have a different station for each radius and they just have a seasoned vet over there yeah. just back and forth. So it's like, yeah, I feel good taking them there, but you know, I, I was joking with the guy going, yeah, you did such a great job. You got most of the rest off there. And he kind of looks and he goes, ah, give me a few more minutes. And he went back and like grinded the rest of the rust off. It's like, geez, you're making these old uh, reactor fives look new. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome though. You know? Yeah. When you get somebody that knows what they're doing, it's a lot different than just some kid just running a blade across it to get them sharp for you. Yeah. It's so funny you say it because it started making its way on social media. I think it was yesterday. I saw it for the first time and you're going to remember this. Do you remember that skate sharpener from oh, Southwest yeah, yeah. Ice Arena? It's like, yeah. I, I remember, you know, being at the rink when there would be uh open skates or something, there would always be that one kid that would, you know, put his skates in there. It's like, Oh no. And, and then you'd see him go out and skate and you could just see that they were a true ankle bender. I mean, yeah, they used to have that play it again too. Yeah, Coach Turbo probably would have put his skates in there. <laughs> <laughs> Name I haven't heard in a long time. Yeah, I, <laughs> I I hadn't even thought of that guy until I started thinking about the, this episode and things I wanted to talk about, and um, it was like, oh yeah, Coach Turbo, and God, he would get so <laughs> upset with us, and it was like, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, to be fair, a lot of the guys, especially uh, the year ahead of me, weren't exactly kind to him. So <laughs> no, you know, guys like Decker and Petritus and Carl Chris, they, they weren't particularly kind to anybody. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, you bring him out there and is, you know, what were they were they microns or whatever, and it, yeah, it, it just wasn't going to go well for him. No, you know, maybe if uh, Coach Fall. You know, Coach Folliard wore them because the guy could play hockey. He could right. probably still blow our do- doors off today. You know, he could probably get away with it and them not pick on him. But anybody else, they, I, I think if Coach Pembroke was wearing them, they'd even pick on him. For sure. 100%. Yeah. So, I, you know, I know we could probably just sit here and remiss and all that for hours. But I know you've listened to a few episodes because, you know, like the Belfort one and whatnot. 
Uh, but I always like to ask people, you know, how did you get started in hockey? I know your older brother played, you know, is that kind of why, why you wound up going that route? Or Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because it wasn't something when I was younger I was ever actually interested in. I didn't I didn't play organized hockey until I got the brother rights. I mean, I all of my, all of my games were bad. I, believe <laughs> it or not, I'm going to agree with you because my freshman year I was not very good. Uh, if, if, if you saw me my senior year compared to freshman year, people yeah. wouldn't believe it that that was the first year I started. But um, we used to go play roller hockey all the time. Like in fourth grade, I started playing with my buddies and I broke my leg in fifth grade. We never had a goalie and I'm just sitting there and like everybody keeps buying me like hockey videos to watch. And I just like, I, I see all these goalies. I'm like, that looks like a lot of fun. Um, and to the point you made earlier, you know, we're a weird group. And so people would give me money for breaking a bone. And I went and bought an old <laughs> pair of the, the old pair of like Brown Cooper pads yeah. uh, to go play street hockey in. And so I, I became the pseudo goalie. And then from there, uh, we, I mean, we, I'm not exaggerating, Joe, like every day after school, yep. we'd be in the cola sack at my house or we'd be at the tennis courts. And we, we'd be like 10 of us that would just go skate and or, or go rollerblade and play roller hockey or whatever. And uh, so I kind of got started that way. <clears throat> and then my brother, Jim, who went to brother rice, um, he kind of got me more into it. And, you know, I, I, I knew I wanted to play in high school, at least play, try and play organized. And, yeah. um, you know, that, that's kind of what got me started. And <clears throat> my dad didn't give me the option to go to, to public school, which I know sounds really bougie. But if anybody's from the south side of Chicago, you, you get it. Yeah. Private school is not what it sounds like. But well, um, it, I mean, where you guys were at, I mean, at least Richards was somewhat respectable, yeah. but still time, not. Yeah. They didn't have a hockey team at the time. Yeah. Like the Cobras came in later, but yeah, um, you know, I, I went to Brother Rice because that's where my brother went, and I I will never forget the the first practice I had uh, for the summer skate for incoming freshmen. I was wearing forward skates. I had a forward helmet on. I had yep. a TNT Franklin chest protector, which was equivalent to probably a street chest protector. Yeah, uh, I was all mismatched, and I didn't even have a jersey that fit right. I mean, it, it was a mess, you know, yeah. um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, in fourth grade, I started playing with my buddies and I lived next to this guy named Joe Eastman, who was probably to this day, one of the best pure hockey players I've ever played against. Um, and uh, just, he loved the game. So we always got all the neighborhood people together and, and that's kind of where my love for the sport grew. Um, yeah. There, there were quite a few hockey players in that neighborhood you grew up in too. Cause I, I know that area. I mean, yeah. Say what you will yeah. about the kid, like, Cliff Wells. He was even. A, I don't know if you ever met him or not. What was the name? Cliff. Cliff. Cliff was a phenomenal hockey player. Yeah, he he's well, a you, classic. You broke up right there. What you said? I, I was gonna say Cliff is a classic example of the Herb Brooks ten cent ten cent fart for a brain. He had the mm-hmm. skill, but he just he could he didn't have the hockey sense to be a good team player. No. And like, if, if he could have modeled himself better towards being a team player, I mean, he, he, he had the size, he had the speed, yeah. he, had, I mean, he had a wicked slap shot. He had one of the best snapshots I've ever seen. Yeah. Um, and, and he had a, he had a great hockey sense. I mean, he, he just knew the game very well. And uh, you know, I don't want to say wasted talent, but like if, if you watch the kid play when he was younger, I mean, I don't, I don't remember him playing in a house league game where he didn't score at least three goals. Yeah. And him know? and I, I think it was my squirt year, my first year playing were teammates uh, for some, I don't know if he was playing up or what, but him and I were teammates early, early on. And then when he came to brother rice uh, again, and uh, I, I think Cliff's biggest 
issue as he progressed through hockey was the fact that he was an only child. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and his parents, you know, I, I totally get it having kids of my own. They absolutely loved the kid. And because of that, Cliff could do no wrong. Therefore, on the ice, all he heard in the car ride home was how great he was and how he right. did nothing wrong on the ice where, you know, our dads would be like, well, that was a crappy goal you gave up. Oh, what were you well, thinking? Yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and I, I think to speak to his mindset, I'll never forget a game. It was, I mean, it had to be my freshman year because I think he only played two years, but um, there was a game where he passed the puck and I don't think the ref gave him the assist. Yeah. For the secondary assist. So he went up to the ref and was like, Hey, just, you know, like I, I should get a point for that as well. Yep. Just to make sure that he, that he had a point on the score sheet. Well, so. he, he was the player that if he got two goals in a game, but we lost by seven, he was happy. Mm-hmm. Cause you know, it, and I mean, I, I hate picking on the kid because like you said, great person too off the ice, yeah. get him away from the ice rink, just a kind hearted fella, you know, yeah. um, and, and again, his parents were some of the nicest people I've ever met. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Like, I, like I, he lived down the street from me. I used to, I used to hang out with Cliff all the time. His parents yeah. were super nice. And, and his grandma was a nice person. Like Cliff, yeah. Cliff off the ice was, was fun to hang out with, you know? He always uh, knew his dad was in a uh, good mood when he started uh, pronouncing everybody's names backwards. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's fun stories about his dad from yeah. getting kicked out of games and man, yep. he was a loud one but it was fun. Yeah. Um, But yeah, that, that neighborhood, you had good, good players. Like you said, Joey Eastman. um, I hated the fact that, you know, he wasn't on our team. Yeah. Um, I I tried hard to recruit that kid. Yeah. He he went to Rita, then Lawrence, and then that was it. Yeah. Uh, The Boudreaux brothers live right down the street from me too, Tommy and Steve. Yeah. But they went to LFA. Yeah. Which is funny because one of my college teammates uh, was on that state team with, uh, the older Boudreaux brother. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And it was funny. Cause when I got to St. Mary's and learned that about Richie, uh, I started asking him about stories about Boudreaux and he's like, Oh, I've got stories. And then it came home for, you know, the alumni game and I'm telling Boudreaux, uh, you know, I'm playing with Richie. He's like, Oh, I've got stories about Richie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 We've um, all got some good stories. Yeah. You know, so, but I, I I think what's cool about your story is the fact that, yeah, you didn't really play organized hockey at all until mm-hmm. you got on the ice with us the summer of freshman year, um, you know, and lucky for you, we, we didn't have many goalies in the system. <laughs> you, you know, I, it's funny because I did not think I was going to make the team because it was, you had Sergio and Dovalina on varsity, yeah. right? And then it was you and Merkel. Um, and then they kept me on as a, as a, as a backup, backup goalie. Well, no, um, Sergio had graduated. We had Ed Richards. Ed Richards and Dovalina were yeah. the um, goalies on varsity that year. And, I mean, looking back at it, as a coach, like, at the time, I felt I should have been on varsity, and there probably was the argument that I should be. But I remember when Terry called me, he's like, hey, look, you're going to play JV. And – it was a hard pill to swallow at the time, but the reasoning was I was going to be a senior the next year Mm -hmm. and they wanted me to be the starter and therefore they wanted me to play. Yeah. And the only way to do that would be at the JV level. So it was a tough pill to swallow at the time because of the way it was handled. But then coach Pembroke came in and he had a conversation with me and he goes, look, 
you're a junior on this team. And that team was 85% freshman. Uh, you yeah. know, it was a very young team. He goes, look, we got a lot of young kids. You've been playing in this, you know, league for, this will be three years now. I need you to be a captain without being a captain. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? And he's like, you'll figure it out. He goes, lead by mm-hmm. example. And I mean, freshman, sophomore year combined, we went one twenty-eight and one in Catholic league play, you know, yeah. and that one win and one tie came sophomore year, but that team, we had a fraction of the talent that my freshman sophomore year JV teams had, mm-hmm. but we were a team. That was the difference. So, yeah. You know, a freshman sophomore year, a lot of great talent, but a lot of individuals, but for some reason we just came together and we played as a team and, you know, you and Merkel were awesome goalie partners. I mean, at least from my end, there was never any animosity. If I wasn't playing in a game, I was, wholeheartedly pulling for you guys yeah um, which Merkel <laughs> that kid he, he was he was something else I, you gotta uh, get him on the show I, you know I, I've been thinking about reaching out to him because I'll never forget we were heading to a varsity it was that that year that junior year we were heading to a varsity game and he's driving that big boat of a car he had yeah he, he rear-ended the car in front of us at a stoplight but didn't do any damage so he just kept going um but we're like, yeah, what do you want to do when you grow up? And we're all talking and we're like, well, Donnie, what do you want to do? Cause he barely said two words when, yeah. when he did speak and he goes, I want to rule the world. <laughs> and then he just kept driving. It's like, now he works at a nuclear power plant. So it's like, yep. he came close. Yeah. <laughs> like he, he's got the means to do some shady stuff if he wants to go that route. When they, um, when they talk about weird goalies, Donnie was definitely one of them. But God, he, was yes. good, he was a good dude, though. I liked him a lot. I think it was sophomore year. Locker boxing was like the thing to do for us. And like, I, I held my own, and I, I was doing pretty good. And then all of a sudden, Donnie's like, I want to go. I think he was <laughs> taking on Brian Fielding, who is a just tough SOB to begin with. Mm-hmm. And Merkel just comes out, and he like – three punches and fielding's on the ground. Like, no, I'm done. <laughs> like Everybody's like, Oh my God, Donnie, we had no idea. Like everybody just kind of gave him a little more room after that. Yeah. Yeah. He was a, he was a silent, silent guy, but he was, you definitely didn't want to mess with him. Yeah. It, it was always fun. He, he would every now and then they'll get that smirk. And <laughs> that's how you knew he was in a good mood when he got that smirk. It was like, okay, we're, we're in for some good, uh, Merkel. Some good material. Yeah, some good Merkel yeah. material coming up. Um, yeah. But, I mean, yeah, that team, I mean, it was just a fun junior year. And, I mean, it really – I'm glad I did play on that team and I wasn't sitting behind Ed. Um, and then, of course, Terry left the program as I went in my senior year, so I kind of squashed the plan of me getting the lion's share of the games. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, after, I'm trying to remember – because I was on varsity senior year, who was your goalie partner? Just me. It was There's just only you. three. Of, it was only three of us in the program. That's so right. my my sophomore and junior year, uh, I was the only goalie on the JV program. So I got lots That's of. That's right. Well, and that yeah. probably the best thing for you too. It 100 was, and it's um, you know to, to to kind of go back to to my freshman year, you know that JV team that was a lot of fun to play on. Yeah. But if you look at the people that were on that team, like that set up the future of our program, at least for the next four or five years. Yeah. Um, 
you know, and then going into sophomore year, you and Joe were playing on varsity. And so I, I had all the entire lion's share of the games on JV. Yeah. Cause it, I think it, every now and then they would bring Joe in for a game, just, you know, if, if we hadn't played in a while and, you know, yeah, but yeah I, I, that's right. You, you got darn near every game. Yeah. But my, my breakout point when I like started actually like turning the page and becoming a better goaltender was actually the Thanksgiving tournament at Southwest my sophomore year. I loved that tournament. <laughs> yeah. It was always fun, you know, but uh, I remember we lost two to one to Glenbrook North to get, to take third place instead of go to the championship game. And um, you know, but I mean, but, but it, it was fun. And like, I love, I love to play and I'm, I'm as we still do, you know, we're, yeah. we're old and washed up now kind of, but uh, at least in my mind I am. But yeah. Uh, Oh, I mean, it, it was skating six days a week to me was normal. In junior year, I had to, I had two days sometimes because I had to go to JB and then go to varsity practice at night. You yeah. Know? And so um, it, it gave me the opportunity to become much better because I'm, I'm seeing a thousand shots a day, you know. Did you go to any camps or clinics in the summertime? You know, I went to one camp ever, which was peak performance in Minnesota. And okay yeah i know the peak camp, camp yeah but after that camp i'm like if this is what they're like like i didn't get a lot out of it to be honest with you yeah um and so i'm like if this is what it's like to go to a camp then i'd rather just work with my coaches at home instead yeah. of doing this you know yeah those um, camps i mean they're a fun experience but having been a camp counselor at one like that um you're not you're not getting a lot of development because it's only one week you know, because yeah. w- when I was, um, you know, in youth hockey, I would go to the Darren McCluskey summer camp and it was once a week, every week throughout the summer. And to me, that was better than going away for a week and having some fun because mm-hmm. we were constantly working on our skills. It was only goalies, um, which was also fun because a cu- couple of the refs that were always refing the uh, Catholic League games were the shooters. So, you know, had a nice little rapport with them, got some quicker <laughs> whistles. Um, but it was just better. And I remember my freshman year, I was working the St. Mary's camp and uh, Radowitz and uh, Aunt, or Jay Nicky came to the camp and they wound up being my my campers for my team. I was like, really? oh, this, this isn't going to be good. <laughs> <laughs> they may have gotten a little extra special treatment, uh, got away with a little more than they should have that week. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> J- Justin Rad, he's a good dude. Uh, he uh, he was mischievous, I'll tell you. He, he seemed yeah. like this quiet, nice kid, and then you get him out and away from everybody, and he's he liked to get up some some trouble so yeah nothing like illegal or bad just you know yeah he, he was get out and have some fun you know you, you hear the stories about like Mark andre Fleury just playing pranks on guys that was Radowitz he was just yeah. like that quiet I can't even say quiet because he he no. was always talking but he yeah. was just that mischief like you said mischievous you know mm-hmm. doing not, nothing bad just letting you know he was there mm-hmm. then there's the Nikki brothers those goofballs yeah <laughs> they, they were they were <laughs> they were fun too yeah you, you always knew they were in the locker room um mm-hmm. I still remember I, I think it was senior year right after uh winter finals we went tobogganing well I had the four-man toboggan so the Nikki brothers and go pick up Ryan Bush and then they come to my house well, I'm waxing the toboggan, so it's, you know, going to go down like in uh, Christmas vacation because we were going to Swallow Cliff to the toboggan mm-hmm. shoots. 
And so I was like, all right, I'm going to go get my snow stuff on. You guys throw the toboggan on the top of the car. And Andy had that big old Lincoln. And he goes, okay, we can do that. I come out, you know, his brother and Bush are still in the back seat. He's got all four windows rolled down and he ties the toboggan to the car through the windows. And I look at him, I go, Andy, how are we getting in the car? You can't open the doors. And he's like, huh, I didn't think of that. So mm-hmm. him and I get in the car, you know, Dukes of Hazard style. We get the, to- the toboggan shoot. And, you know, then we, all four of us have to climb out of the car through the windows. And, you know, yeah. uh, Jay and Ryan have to climb into the front seat to crawl out because the back windows don't go down all the way. <laughs> so after we're done tobogganing, I go, okay, let's do this the right way open the doors before we tie it down. He goes, Oh yeah, that, that makes more sense. So Uh, winters in Chicago, that happens more often than you think. Yeah. It was just so funny. I'm like, how are you an honors student? And now he's a teacher, which is even scarier. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, as you alluded to senior year, you guys wind up winning the Kennedy cup, which I wasn't a part of that team, but I've always kind of felt I help, you know, as you said, we laid the groundwork. I, I feel mm-hmm. a little sense of ownership of that uh, Kennedy Cup team. Yeah. As you should. I mean, you know. I mean, look, before I got, like, like, well, you had already talked about it, like the, the records that you had and like, wasn't bad players. And like, you know, I don't want to blame yeah. coaching. Like, it just never meshed or gelled for whatever reason. And yeah. then, you know, as all these young kids, I mean, we, I think we had 14 freshmen my freshman year. Yeah. Right. And so we looked up to all the seniors and, and upperclassmen and that, that did kind of pay away for what happened in 01. It just, you know, I mean, it, it wasn't for a lack of talent either because, you know, you look at you like the Daryl Mulqueens and the yep. Darcy Folliers, Rich Brzezinski, uh, you know, Matt Ribikowski, I mean, Matt Ingers. I mean, we, we, we weren't stacked relative to other teams, but we had just good hockey players. Yeah. Um, yep. And, and certainly a part of that is credited to you and the people that came before you. And it's uh, before us, I should say. But uh, yeah, I mean, t- 2001, you know, it, it was a fun season. And coming off the year before, we won it at JV level too. Yeah. And so, you know, it's, um, you, you get that taste. And I think the sweetest thing is that we knocked out Mount Carmel on the way to the to the championship because they had won like the previous four oh, years. Yeah. Tell me about it. My, my freshman year at St. Mary's moving in, I see this. St. Lawrence jacket walked by me and I go, huh? Jimmy Pellucci was in the room next to me. Uh, I don't know if you remember that name, but uh, mm-hmm. he, he, he skates, well, he used to skate a lot with the, uh, the Shamrocks, um, but he played for St. Lawrence. Uh, I played St. Jude with him. So I, I knew him well. I was like, you gotta be kidding me. You're my neighbor. And then in comes walking Mike Hollinsworth with his Mount Carmel jacket on. And he, you know, <laughs> He, he always brought out his bag of four Kennedy cup rings to, you know, put in front of me and Jimmy just to rub it in. We're like, yeah, we know you were a six defenseman on a really good team. Right. You know, he's like, but I was on that team. Um, but it was also fun. It was funny too, because the three of us, we just go back and forth picking on each other, Catholic league style. And then somebody, you know, from Minnesota would make a comment about one of our schools and like all three of us would turn around and be like, what did you just say? Right. And they're like, nothing worse than you've been saying about him. Be like, yeah, but I can say that. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, 
we got to explain the Catholic League to you guys. Like, yeah. it's like brothers. We can pick on each other, fight with each other, but when somebody else comes after us, right. we're a family. Yeah. And they're like, it makes no sense. You're supposed to be rivals. They're like, yeah, we are on the ice. But, you know, at the house party, we're giving each other drinks. Right. And, <laughs> and it, it's funny because, you know, the dynamic of the league has changed so much since, since yeah. we played it, you know, and it's unfortunate because uh, where every game was basically housed at Southwest or uh, yeah. Bridgeview or Oak Lawn, now they're all over the place, right? And yeah. You don't get that same camaraderie that you'd get from just seeing people around the rink all the time because you'd have all six or eight teams yeah. uh, waiting to play. So you just run into people constantly. Yeah. And on the ice, yeah, we did not like each other. But, you know, you get off the ice, and unless you weren't someone that was likable, everybody got along. Yeah, as long as you weren't one of the Darlis boys, you were getting along, you know. <laughs> I still remember when Pete jumped me after a game. Like, they beat us. And he still jumps me after a game in the lobby from behind because he didn't like a save I made on him. I was like, yeah. and um, Chief Chikorota saw the whole thing going down and uh, Mr. Coleman, you know, they saw it. They come in, you know, tear us apart. And, you know, people are trying to say who started this or that. And Chief Chikorota is like, no, he was standing there talking to friends and Darlis comes and it's like, thanks, Chief. You got my back. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, it, it was a rough league, man. That, yeah. That's the thing. Like it, uh, everybody left it out there, and that, I mean, that's what made it so fun to play in, though. You know, I mean, it was the, the rivalries were there because you're playing schools that are a mile or two down the road. Yeah, you're seeing each other four or five times a season, you know, or whatever it was, and and it's uh, it, it it really created great hockey. Yeah, uh, in that in that era of the Catholic League. And, yeah, you know, absolutely. Yeah. I go to, you know, my, I haven't been to a game in like five years, but I, my wife and I are going back to Chicago for Christmas and I really want to go to a rice game if they have one. They seem to be playing well this year too. Yeah. So, um, but you know, we can talk about the program and yeah. where it's gone up and down and, and all the downside, but um, yeah, man, I mean, if you go back to 01 and it, it was, it, it started in spring league because we won the Orland league and then we actually like tied uh five of our first six games that season mm-hmm. and so if you look at our record it was like 15 I, I think we played 20 games in that league so it was like yeah fifth or like 16 four and five it was like it was just some stupid stupid thing but there was a game against Fenwick we were down I think three to one or four to one going into the third and came back and won five to four and that was that was the turning point of the entire season because after that game we knew that we could beat anybody because yeah. was a really good team yeah they were uh, um <laughs> when I got done with college I, I was coaching one of the high schools up here and they were always you know the kids were always kind of razzed me like ah you only played high school hockey in Chicago it's not that good well then Christmas tournament over in Blaine uh we were playing in it and Fenwick was in there the year after they won the state championship and they come mm-hmm. and they're they're playing Catholic League hockey, and they're just yeah. beating the crap out of everybody. And the refs are going, we could call a penalty on every play, but like that's just their style of hockey. You know, we're going to yeah. call the blatant yeah. stuff. And like <laughs> they just cleaned up in this tournament, just blowing people away. And like I wanted my team to win, but I wasn't disappointed when Fenwick just put on a clinic and beat us. Yeah. And because that next morning at the turn I walk in the locker room and I look at the boys and go so about that Catholic league in uh, Chicago it's pretty good hockey isn't it and one kid goes I had no idea 
I had no idea. It was just a fist fight every game. <laughs> what it was, man. Yeah. A lot, of, a lot of injuries, broken collarbones, hard hits, you know, but. Yeah, I mean, we, we had to have had five or six broken collarbones a season. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the fact that my dad had one of those little collarbone um, slings in his little emergency bag he always brought her because he would just raid the ambulances and create a uh, first aid kit to bring with him and yeah. yeah he always had one in there because it happened every few weeks whether it was our team or the other team somebody always yeah. had Rob Kins I don't know if you remember him yeah I remember him he broke his collarbone came back two games later he broke it again yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's what uh, it was it, yeah it's just just the yeah. <laughs> some fun hockey that's for sure yeah. uh, you know so after brother rice you wind up you go to college uh did you play any beer league while you were in college or did you just kind of uh, whenever so you were home my, right after i graduated i actually went and played uh i was still young enough so when i graduated i was 17 so i went and played one year midgets with saint jude because they had just formed a new team and terry labella was the coach mm-hmm. and so he called me up in the summer he's like hey danny like i i, I know you're kind of on a break and I don't know if you're looking to play anymore, but we need goalies. <laughs> and uh, if you'd be interested, I'd love to have you on the team. So I'm like, yeah, sure. You know, so I went and played St. Jude. That team was fun, but awful. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we won two games the entire season. Um, and then after that, uh, I went away to Illinois state university and I didn't start, I, I, I didn't play for like two years. Um, yeah. and, a, and a guy I used to work with uh, this guy, Andy, um, there was a, a new, they just built a Pepsi rink, you know? So they, he's like, Hey, they're starting a men's league and they were playing board to board, right? They weren't <laughs> even playing full rink. They were playing cause they, like nobody played hockey there. And yeah. so they were playing board to board. They'd have three, three games going at one time with like, like might hockey. Yeah. Like with the black dividers that would go across the ice, you know? Uh, so I started playing with them for a couple seasons. And then once I graduated, uh, unless people needed me to come out for like rat hockey or something, I didn't play again until probably 2013. Um, well, that's because once you graduated, I mean, you seize the idea of, you know, you only live once Mm -hmm. and, you know, I remember, um, Mr. Melinda one day in chemistry, somebody, he kept calling people rednecks and we're all like, we're not rednecks. Like we live in the city. Like, what are you talking about? And somebody asked him, you know, what, what's his term of a redneck? And his, he said, my term of a redneck is somebody who's never going to leave home. Somebody who's going to live in the same neighborhood their whole life and never experience the world. Well, mm-hmm. if you went and saw Mr. Melinda today, there's no way he could call you a redneck. Cause you've kind of bounced <laughs> all over. I mean, your journey has taken you, you know, you spent a year in Australia of all places yeah. And, you know, you wind up in California of all places. I mean, the weather is terrible there. Um, Uh, If you look outside right now, we we have one of the worst rainstorms we've had in who knows how long, but it's, you know, once every eight months we get one of these. Yeah, yeah, we've got six inches of snow on the ground right now. (laughs) I don't don't miss those days at all. Uh, But, yeah, I mean, look, for for me, my hockey journey kind of changed just because, I, I knew it was never going to be a career for me. So I, I actually yeah. made a regrettable decision to not even try and play in college. And I wish I had uh, at least attempted to, to see if one, I could have done it, but just to extend my playing career a little bit longer uh, because, you know, beer league is fun, but it's not the same as competitive hockey. 
And yeah. so when you, when you get out of that uber competitive Catholic league, and then, you know, like you don't know what the next step is. And I didn't even try out for teams or even try and not that I would have been scouted, scouted, but even try and like get noticed by other teams to see if they want me to play. Um, so I just kind of stepped away from the game, um, you know, and, and I, I guess regret's a strong word, but looking back at it, I, I may have made a different decision to at least try and go play in a club team or, you know, if, if I would yeah. even make a D3 club or something like that. But, um, you know, that's a good point too, because I mean, when we were coming up, the internet existed, but you know, you use it for research papers at school and that, that was about it. Yeah. Um, you know, so the idea of club college hockey, ACHA hockey today, we really didn't know about that. We didn't realize how many schools had, you know, maybe it wasn't NCAA hockey, but it was still college hockey. It was still competitive hockey. Yeah. You know, we didn't know about that. You know, I, I knew Northern had a team because a couple of the Rice guys went up there and they, they had a summer team that I would fill in for every now and then. But it was like so many schools I had those club teams. Yeah. Didn't even know. Um, would it have changed where I went to school? Probably not. Um, but would it have expanded what schools I looked at? Probably. Yeah. Um, you know, especially looking at it today and how some of these ACHA teams are set up. Um, you know, but I, I was lucky. You know, I've told the story on the podcast before. My freshman year at St. Mary's, we had 26 goalies trying out for six spots. Like, I, I walked in there. I was like, well, this is the end of my hockey career. Uh, but somehow I got that six spot and I, I had my college goalie coach on one of my early episodes and he confirmed what I knew all, all along. I was picked because they knew I'd be a good locker room guy. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> my personality got me on that team, but it was also because I worked our hockey camp going into freshman year. So they got to know that me as a person and that personality. Mm-hmm. And they knew that, you know, kind of like Rudy. I, I was going to go out there and give it my all every single practice. There were going to be no easy reps on a drill for my teammates. And, you know, while I wasn't yeah. going to be a varsity goalie at any point, uh, they, they were still going to have to battle for those goals in practice. And that's what they needed. And, um, and, and it, that matters, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I can, I can tell you two quick stories. You know, I, I remember like my senior year, I didn't get to play a lot. You know, Joe, yep. Joe Dolina was one of the best goaltenders in the state. And, and playing time was sparse, but like I, I battled my ass off every practice as if I was going to play the next game. Yep. And I, I'll never forget coach Pembroke, uh, after the season was over, um, there was some leftover money and he's like, Hey, I want you to give this back to your dad. He's like, I really appreciate what you've put in for this team and in your entire career playing at brother rice. And I was like, you know, coach, for me, it wasn't about like, did I want to play? Of course I wanted to play, yeah. but I, I wanted my team to be prepared and I wanted I wanted them to be better. And if that meant me busting my ass at practice, regardless of whether or not I was going to play, like that's what I was going to do because, yeah. you know, I didn't, I didn't want to just pack it in and say, Oh, well, I'm not going to play. So what's the point? Right. You know? Um, but locker room chemistry is important. You know, we, um, I won't name the player's name, but we had a guy that quit the team twice in one season. And, and this was my junior year and coach Mahalik, uh, who used to coach for the saints at Oak Lawn. He was a coach at the time and AJ Kerr's dad, Artie was our coach. And uh, coach Mahalo just came up to me. He's like, Hey Dan, like you are the captain of this team. Like you are the leader on this team. Like, do you want him back? And I just told him like, listen, he is, he's not a good teammate. Yeah. Uh, he, he gets fired up and quits and walks off the ice. And, and I'm like, we don't need him. Like, don't, yeah. don't let him back. And he's like, all right, that's it. And he, and he wouldn't let him play. Yeah. Uh, I think and, I know who that was. And uh, yeah. he, he was a, uh, 
problem freshman year too. And there were times I had to pull him aside and be like, Hey, you're part of a team this isn't, you know, we're not all here supporting characters for you. You know, we're all here together. Nobody's greater than the sum. The unfortunate thing is he was a very good player, you know, Mm -hmm. well, very good. He was a good player. And, uh, you know, we ended, up, we ended up winning junior year without him. And to be honest with you, that, that kind of ended his brother Rice hockey career when he wasn't let back on the team because that, that followed with him. You know, they, they didn't they didn't want him uh, in that attitude in a locker room that we had worked so hard to to build that camaraderie. Uh, yep. Didn't want him coming in and disrupting that, you know. Yeah. So that was the end of it. You know, it's funny because we keep kind of referencing kind of that that camaraderie, that team that wound up winning the Kennedy cup hat. And, you know, we, we started laying those ground track, you know, those tracks your freshman year, like you said, every day after school, we were getting together as, as almost an entire team, yeah. you know, yeah. whether you were one of the guys that uh, we hung out with after games or not, it didn't matter. It's like, Hey, this, this is what time we're all meeting up, you know, and, you know, some guys be like, yeah. I got a lot of homework tonight. Okay. All right. But it was like, okay, you know, we're all getting together, whether we like you or not, we're getting together. This is how it is. And it's funny because I don't know if it was a podcast I was listening to or uh, something I was reading, but they were talking about, you know, kind of some of those old Oilers teams and whatnot. And one of the things that set them apart was they went out as a team after games and practices. It wasn't, you know, oh, like today where the, these are the guys that get along. It's like, no, we are all going out. You're the mm-hmm. guy that was just called up from the minors. Hey, we're going out. You're coming yeah. with us. Like th- that's, and that goes a long way to building a team. Yeah. And, you know, and that's, that's how it was, you know, and, and even with us, uh, well, I mean, you, you are part of that, you know, I mean, it, everybody hung out, you know, whether it was yep. different groups, different weekends, whatever it was, but like, uh, there's not one guy on that team that I, at some point I didn't hang out with or go out with for a weekend or whatever it was. Yeah. Um, and, and that's just kind of how, how we built that, you know, and, and that's, that's also kind of a South side Chicago mentality of, you know, we are all in this together. Like we're all one group. Yep. Um, e- even the guys that weren't necessarily the most social, you know, we'd always try and invite them out. Yeah. You know, and, yep. and then, I mean, that's a long way towards it. If we weren't playing when the football team was playing, we were at those football games as a team. You know, mm-hmm. I kind of regret not going to the basketball games, but I never liked basketball. It's like, I'm not going <laughs> to spend a couple bucks and go watch a game I don't like, but I mean, brother rice basketball is you know it's an experience it was fun back then you know and i'm, I'm yeah. sure it still is but uh the the student section would go nuts and the team was good when we were i mean i yeah. don't know if you think, i think it was your senior year yeah uh, it was the first uh class i think they won catholic league all four years my yeah. my graduating class but i mean it was our generation that created the crusader crazies <laughs> you know in their- which is crazy because like they'd be we'd be written about all over, and I, I don't want to say we because I wasn't in that group that often. But th- that that student cheering section would be written about all over the state of Illinois about like when you play them, you better be prepared because yeah. it's a loud, rambunctious group. Uh, when yeah. you go into the house, and well, we traveled. Well. I, I think the administration wanted to get some leadership with the student section after my freshman year and a little incident we had that put us in the national news, mm-hmm. uh, but it worked. <laughs> yeah. You know. Yeah, I, I still remember the day that um, Jesse Jackson came to speak at the school and um, knowing the dads of many of us, many of us weren't, didn't make it to school that day because mm-hmm. our dads didn't agree with it. And um, 
uh, Paul Hamilton was our JV coach at the time and he was getting his doctorate at St. Xavier. So he was doing some uh, interning at Brother Rice as a counselor. So he saw the attendance sheet every day. And the rule was, if you don't go to school, you can't practice or whatnot and come walking into the rink. And Paul, and what's funny is one of the few times Paul didn't actually take me to practice because his apartment was like two blocks away. So usually he would just pick me up for practice. So mom and dad didn't have to, you know, go out. And so I get to uh, Oakland, I'm walking into the rink and he goes, uh, Mr. Drennan. One of the only times he called me Mr. Drennan, it was usually Joe or you idiot. Um, mm-hmm. He was, uh, I was looking over the attendance list today and noticed you weren't in school today. And I go, yeah. He goes, so you know, you're not supposed to practice, right? I said, well, you know, as we've learned in religion class, one of the commandments is honor thy mother and father. I really wanted to go to school today, but my dad just wouldn't let me. So, and he just starts laughing. He goes, that's the best excuse I've gotten yet. <laughs> go on in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That was, those, those were interesting times right then. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, I, uh, I wasn't the great academic student that uh, I became in my later years. I, I did not pay close attention to my grades when I was in high school. And yeah, um, there was a couple times I was put on academic probation with the hockey team and I had to go, like, I, I couldn't play until I, I showed a passing grade for every class that week. Yeah. And Mr. Pembroke was really strict about it too. He's like, listen, Dan, you, you're not allowed to practice if yeah. you don't have passing grades. And so I would do just enough to get by just to keep playing hockey. You that know? was one thing because I, I I appreciated that they did weekly progress reports for athletes. So it was like, if you're not passing this week, you're not participating this week. And so my mom always knew I would at least have C's in every class. <laughs> She's yeah. like, because of that, I never had to worry uh-huh. about your grades. Um, you know, and then I remember my yeah. senior year when Zabowski came in because IHSA rules you could have two D's and play he's like I don't like that rule I think it should be C's or better and a few of our teammates kind of got the the wide eyes and are like huh <laughs> yep yeah I forgot that he was coach for a year yeah that that was my senior year it did not go well it, um, it, it did not now that I reflect back on it I I, I literally had forgotten about him you know and the thing is like I've done a lot of reflecting on that team like his systems would have worked beautifully. He just was terrible at teaching them. Mm-hmm. And he, he just wasn't a good coach. Like he didn't understand the locker room and the team of personalities we had. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'll, I'll never forget, you know, he calls a timeout in a game where we're losing. And uh, so I forget what happened, but he just – like looks at us all and he's like, you've all seen the Lion King, right? And we're like, what? It, and I think it was Sikorsky just hits him over the top of the helmet. And he goes, remember when Rafiki hits uh, Simba and, you know, it's in the past. Learn from it, but move on. We're all like, yeah. And he's like, yeah, we're losing, but let's learn from it, move on and have some fun and, you know, win the rest of the game. We're like, oh, yeah. We still lost the game, but from that yeah. point on, we didn't lose. You know, it was, yeah. I, I forget what it was, was like one of the weirdest timeouts ever. Or like, 
what you're talking about the lion like we have 30 seconds here and you're talking about the lion king yeah <laughs> like that yeah. was the only good coaching moment of his because i mean is you know goalies like to know who's playing going into a game he didn't yeah. understand that like he wouldn't tell mir dovolina who was playing the day before there were even games where he wouldn't tell us who was starting until after warmups and me and really? joe are like we need to know because whoever's mm-hmm. starting takes more of the shot. You know, we all have our own things. You know, like some people like to take more shots. Not I'm in beer leagues. I'm like, I only have so many saves in me. I'm taking four <laughs> shots and that's it. But it's like, we need to know. And like, we're like, who's starting? He's like, Joe D. And we're like, no shit, but which one of us? And all oh, that, which is irk both of us to no end, especially when he would wait until after warmups to tell us. We're just like... Mm-hmm. It just, he's like, well, you should always be and we're like, we get that. We are, but there's just a different way of mentally preparing yeah. when you absolutely I mean, know. And he, and he he didn't get it. And warm-ups for me were really important because I, I always wanted a half moon to start so I could track the puck. You know, yep. I wanted I wanted far shots and start working your way in so I can get my reactions and my timing down. Yeah. And uh, if if you don't know if you're starting, you know, you only get five minutes to warm up. So if you're each taking two and a half minutes. Whereas yeah. now that's forever for me. And I'm like, I, I want to be get like a minute and a half of shots. Yeah. Back then I wanted like three minutes, four minutes just to get warmed up and track. But- yeah. It's funny you mentioned that because I just found on my son's Oculus, I don't have the sense arena because a hundred bucks a month is just too much for a beer leader to pay. Um, but there's like a goalie game on there. And one of the options is just three guys at the blue line taking slap shots. Yeah. Now it's not 100% life like you know you can't really read the puck coming off the uh stick but it's like before beer league games fast past few weeks i did that it's like i played better because of that it's just yeah part of that when i got to college in our warm-ups for 20 minutes it's like jesus mary and joseph but one of the things we did was you know everybody go around in the circles and they do passing drills but the goalies we got to pick two shooters and they should you know we got to dictate for the first five minutes, what do we do in the net? And for me, it was just back and forth between the two shooters from the slot. And they knew the first time through, everything was in the feet. Second time through, it was in the gloves, you know. And if you were the guy on my glove side, you were shooting to the gloves. If you were the guy on my, you were just shooting in those. It was very much, this is what you do. And then I would do the same thing, but down in the butterfly. And -hmm. it was just like, I loved that. I didn't have to worry about people shooting across ice behind me or this group's taking forever on the the, uh, line rush. So now you got another one coming behind. It was just like for the first five minutes and like all of us goalies knew it was like that first five minutes, if you're the backup, you're just standing in the corner because those five minutes are for the starting goalie. Now, when we got to the line rushes, you know, in the last 15 minutes, that was all for the backup. So I, I don't need to be doing three on twos right now. It's not getting me ready for yeah. the game. <laughs> but yeah, yeah. I, I loved those I five minutes. Guys that they don't understand why I don't move when, like, the moment I step in the net, they just start taking breakaways. I'm like, yeah, what, like, what do you, what do you, like, I'm, I'm gonna pull a hamstring trying to stop you on a breakaway the first shot I take. Yeah, I'm like, I'm just not doing it. So I just, I just stand there and let them make their, you know, seven deeks and yeah, pick whatever corner they want. Yeah, I, my team's gotten better over the years. You know, there's just certain guys when they're coming down, like, I'm not going to try on yours because you're going to try a deke or you're going to, you know, whatever. But there's a few guys where, you know, we kind of make eye tack, 
eye contact and I'll, you know, put a glove out or a blocker out and they'll shoot for those. And it's like, all right, mm-hmm. there we go. Just, um, just want to track it. It's all yeah. I want. <laughs> so I want to, you know, we've been talking for a while here and yeah, I, yeah. I want to be somewhat mindful of time, but it, I expected this. So after college, like you said, you, you took some adventure and wound up in Australia. What got you there? <laughs> well, um, well, let's backpedal a bit. So yeah. I, uh, use a term you used earlier, did not want to be a redneck, right? Yeah. And so I was working at Kellogg in, in Aurora um, for three years out of college. And, you know, I, I love where I grew up. I wouldn't trade where I grew up. I love going home. I love mm-hmm. seeing people. But uh, it's, I didn't want to stay there my entire life. You right. Know? And so my sister actually moved to California for her master's program. And I, I went and visited her like three or four times. And I was actually debating moving to the East Coast. And after coming out to visit her, I was like, why would I leave cold weather for more cold weather <laughs> when I can move to California? So yeah. uh, in 2011, I moved to San Diego. Um, I took a job that was fun in the beginning. And then as time went on, not just myself, but everybody that worked there hated it. And so three and a half years into living in San Diego, uh, instead of finding a new job, I took a hard overcorrect. And a friend of mine that was at, um, at the place that I worked, they were quitting to go to Australia. And they just walked up to me. They're like, you're too smart for this place. It's miserable here. You should come with me and, and go live in Australia for a year. It'd be fun. And, and I thought about it for a couple of days. I'm like, you know what? That does sound like fun. Yeah. And so... I went and paid for my visa, which is like a three-day process. And, you know, it's like 400 bucks. They give you a one-year work holiday visa. So you can work while you're there to make money. And that July, I left. Well, two weeks before I moved there, uh, the person that was supposed to be there decided they were going to move to Hawaii. And so <laughs> I went there not knowing anybody. Any, yeah. Yeah. Which, which, to be honest with you, it ended up being a blessing in disguise because it, it really took me out of my comfort zone. And it made me like go meet people, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I lived in Australia for a year. And then in 2015, uh, I had an opportunity to, well, and to answer your question, the reason I went there is I was single with no kids and figured when will I ever be able to do this again? Yeah. You know? So, but uh, had an opportunity with my, the job, my employer before Boar's Head and uh, they were, they were like, there's a satellite office in San Diego, or you can take a position back in Chicago at our, at our home office. And I decided to move back to San Diego uh, which was probably the best decision I ever made because then a, a mutual or a friend of mine from college ended up living out here. So we met up again and they're the one that led me to my current employer. And then I met my wife out here in 2017. So, you know, it all just kind of fell into place, but yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm condensing it much quicker than what it, what it really was like. Yeah. In real time. Yeah. But, and uh, I, I question your wife's like mental well-being because I know you well <laughs> enough. But then again, I question my wife's well-being or mental well-being because I know myself. But uh, there, there's yeah. definitely a special place for both of those gals in heaven. I, I think yeah. they're they're going to be in the fast pass lane. <laughs> I, I really tricked her. <laughs> yeah. Stuff, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> that that's what I say. I, I joke and say I knew I was going to marry my wife the the first night. Uh, we went out together. Um, we went to see the Grinch who stole Christmas in theaters and we come back to the dorm room and DVDs were still pretty new, but my roommate had a DVD player. So I had like three DVDs and one of them was Slapshot. And I was like, yeah, do you want to watch a movie or 
She's like, sure. What do you have? And it's like, I forget what other two I had. And it's like, and then I've got Slapshot. She's like, oh, throw that one in. It's like, okay. And I put it in. Like she knew it word for word. I was like, I love this girl. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's awesome. Yeah, Um, yeah. It's it's fun because we we almost didn't end up being because uh, had I answered the question she asked me on our second date wrong, or had I given a different response, but. In college, I dated someone for like six years, right? Yeah. In college, not a college. And uh, it was not a great relationship. And we ended up breaking up, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And so like, I, I needed Dan time. So for the next <laughs> six years, I, I did not date anybody officially, you know, just yeah. you know, go on dates, whatever. But when we met, um, I, I really liked her, you know? And so the first date, like we hit it off. It was great. And on the second date, she's like, listen, I just got out of a long relationship. I don't know what I want. You know, I enjoy hanging out with you. I just, I don't know where this is going. And my response was like, great. You know, if, if I meet somebody, I'll let you know, but I've enjoyed hanging out with you. I've been in your position before. So we'll just yeah. keep hanging out and see where it goes. And I just completely took the pressure off of her. And then yeah. you know, three and a half years later, we were married. So. If, o- if only she could have uh, found another good date. You know, know, who knows? <laughs> all the poor decisions she made. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, but, you know, so you wind up in San Diego, a beautiful area. Um, uh, actually, I have family that lives out that way. Uh, one of my dad's cousins lives out that way. Um, and uh, actually, there's a set of twins I went to grade school with that uh, wound up moving out there, too. I, I don't know if one, I know one of them did. I, I think both of them may have married uh, Navy SEALs. So that's how they wound up out there. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but so it's, it's a beautiful area, but uh, it's not known as a hockey hotbed. I mean, they have the goals now. Uh, so how, how did you get back into, you know, playing hockey regularly with not knowing anybody in the hockey scene out there and yeah. it not being a traditional hockey market? So, um, now it has grown tremendously. Like yeah. there's, there's rinks all over the place. But when I was here in 2013, the only, like, like the first time I stepped back on the ice, the only rink that was around that had like a regular league that I knew about anyway, uh, was a place called UTC, which is in the food court of a mall. Uh, and that's where I still play today. Um, but uh, I, I brought my equipment out here just because I wanted to get back out. And I just started asking people if they know where any ice rinks are and uh, somebody had suggested it to me and I, I, I just started filling in for people. Um, mm-hmm. And then before COVID hit, uh, I was actually skating at three different rinks, subbing for goalies. And then COVID hit and, you know, everything shuts down. Uh, our rink kind of got away. Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has a no-brainer offer that will make a winner once any shot gets past the goalie. As a goalie, I don't love this offer, but you will. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores. The NHL got rid of ties in 2005, so you know someone's going to light the lamp. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, no worries. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Hockey Contest. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code THPN for a game and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. 
That's promo code THPN this week at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Have a gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. From protocol in the sense of like if it was a private event they could still have a game mm-hmm. and so instead of being a league sanctioned event it would be a it would be a private you're basically renting the ice and just inviting people out yeah and, so, and if you guys just so happen to keep track of who's winning these private event games and yeah. compare them to other private event games <laughs> and that's how it was but i mean they, they were strict though They're like if you're not wearing a face mask and, and playing hockey in a face mask is awful yeah but if you're not wearing a face mask on the ice or in the locker room like you're going to get kicked out of the building did you use the uh, ccm game on mask or did you just wear a normal one underneath uh i at first i used cloth masks and and that did not work and then i ended up getting like a um almost like a silk nylon mask that Mm -hmm. was like it it was it was a standard but like thinner Uh, i tried using a gator but they're like those aren't real so um so they wouldn't let me use those but yeah, I mean, just the amount of sweat you accumulate on those things is... Yeah, because for a while here in Minnesota, we had to wear the masks. So I, I bought that CCM one that they made for goalie masks. And it wasn't too bad because it, it sat like this above the nose. So you didn't have anything right on your mouth and nose as you were playing. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you think about it, I mean, from preventing anything from getting out because of the way your goalie mask is it was doing what it was supposed to probably better because half of it was your goalie mask and that yeah. was fiberglass but your vision down low was mm-hmm. it took some getting used to and I, I said my my tracking should be so much better when I'm able to pull this thing off and yeah my my tracking down low was better because instead of just looking down at my eyes I was moving my head down like that yeah um, it's, yeah it's funny the little things that make such a huge difference when you're playing the game yeah, well, and a friend of ours, their daughter was uh, starting to play high school hockey. It's a weird thing in Minnesota that they let you play high school sports in seventh and eighth grade if you're good enough. Mm-hmm. Or in the realm of girls sports, a lot of times it's numbers. They don't have the numbers for a varsity and a JV. So a lot of times the seventh and eighth graders are playing JV. Well, she was playing uh, JV. I think she was in eighth. Yeah, she was in eighth grade when it started. And she was a defenseman and, you know, she's like so excited. She scored a couple goals in a scrimmage and she's like, this is amazing. It's like, listen, Ellie, you're going to score quite a few goals from the blue line this year because goalies can't see down low. Like as long as you guys have to wear masks on the ice, you're going to be scored. Goals are going to be up exponentially this year. Yeah, And you know, that prediction was accurate. Yeah. <laughs> they, they were up while they had to wear uh, masks. Um, in fact, my beer league team didn't play our fall season because Delta variant was just starting to kick in when we had to sign up and they had a feeling that the mass mandate while skating was going to come back. Well, it didn't. Mm-hmm. Uh, so they, they skipped the fall season, but another team I sub for every now and then their goalie had surgery. So they're like, Hey, we need a goalie. Can you play? It's like, absolutely. I can play. So I, I was able to at least keep playing. Um, but now January 7th, our, winter league starts up and a bunch of my teammates who haven't skated in almost two years and yeah we're not a very good team when we skate regularly (laughs) 
but the locker room is awesome. That, that That's why I play on this team because I really appreciate the guys and it's a good bunch. So it's fun. And it, it kind of reminds me of high school. I'm getting a, you know, 40 shots a game in beer league. Um, yeah. You know, so it's like, Hey, I, I was conditioned for this years ago, guys. I, I'm all good. Um, yeah. But yeah, they're, they're like, yeah, we, we can't skate wearing a mask and you know, their feeling is, they can't skate wearing a mask because they don't have the uh, physical fitness for it. And I'm looking, I'm going, our team name is the hosers because almost all of you are firemen. Like that concerns me as a taxpayer who you guys, whose house you guys cover that wearing a mask to do something physical is too much for you. Like, are you going to be able to pull me out of my home if it's burning? They're like, probably not that's why you got a sprinkler system <laughs> i was yeah. like yeah that's true uh, but yeah. they're like yeah we, we see the irony of it we should all probably be working out a little more but we're not in fact i had to uh, place a new jersey order for most of the guys because they outdrew their old ones <laughs> during the shutdown i was like jesus jesus guys you're killing me um yeah. I mean, my, my team's kind of the same way, but we, I mean, we have, we have kids, we have kids, we have, we have guys as young as 18 and guys that are almost 60 on my team. Yeah. And uh, my league is not known for its defensive prowess. <laughs> and so if there's such good, there's such thing as a good six goal game, I had probably my best one the other day. Uh, we lost six to two, but I mean, I probably made 40, 40 saves in the process. Yeah. And you know, it, but it, it's, it's fun. The reason I, you know, it's a 45 minute drive for me to go play on Sundays, but it's worth it for me just because I yeah. enjoy the team. I enjoy the chemistry. I enjoy playing on the ice with them. Even when we lose, you know, like I'm, I'm still very competitive. Yeah. Uh, and, and my language on the ice sometimes will dictate that, but um, it's never at them. It's just because I, I don't like losing. I don't like giving up a goal. Yeah. And, you know, so I never directed at any of the players, but, um, but it's it just, it's fun. You know, like yeah. I really, I enjoy it at a level that I, didn't even when I started playing again. And so now, you know, you just go out there and if you have a bad game, you have a bad game. You just, you don't worry about it. I call it my hour of therapy every week. Um, and and I, I didn't realize how much like just emotionally, internally, I needed it until it was taken away during COVID and like how much just getting on that ice for an hour every week, every week really did for my mental well being. Um, and it, you're absolutely right. Like the competitive side of us is barely goalies. It's tough because we don't like to get scored on. We don't like to lose. And it wasn't us listening to one of uh, the goalie by Garmin podcasts where he was talking about focus on the things you can control, you know, focus on the shots you should be able to stop. But if they score on that back door, because there was a guy standing there and your defense and wasn't helping you out, that's not on you. Like let it go. And it's like, that did so much for me to enjoy beer league hockey even more than I already did. It was yeah. like, okay, yeah, I'm going to focus on what I can control. Cause like you said, sometimes there's those six goal games where it's like, Hey, I played pretty good tonight. I'm happy. Yeah. Um, uh, and it's like Brian Decord with Sopic goaltending. He's uh joy Decord's dad. Um, who was playing, I forget where he's playing in the pros now, but he's got a new app where, um, I, I'm considering trying it out. It's like six, five or six bucks a month. And, you have to enter the stuff yourself, but I put the GoPro up behind my net anyway, so I could actually do this of grading shots, you know, and there's, and then they using artificial intelligence determine how many goals should you have let in, in that game versus how many did you actually let in? 
And it's like just an mm-hmm. awesome way of looking at it. You know, as a data analyst myself, I'm like, I love this. It's like taking what yeah. I do for a living and putting towards goaltending. But yeah, I mean, it's purely goalies. There's times we let in six goals, but they probably should have scored 12. Right. And like our teammates aren't looking at it that way. It's, uh, so sometimes I'm like, yeah, I, I wonder how many I should have let in that game. Yeah. Should I be as upset as I am? Or should I be like, Hey, that was pretty good. <laughs> yeah. You know, and, and I think as you mature as a goaltender, you know, your mindset changes as well. And, and when I say mature, I just mean get older because you can brush that stuff off. Like something that happened in that game that would not have happened in high school is that a guy come up and you say, Hey man, I'm really sorry about that. I'm like, that wasn't your fault. That was just a good shot. Even though he was standing yeah. in front of me, the guy still picked a corner that I don't know if I would have saved it, even if he wasn't standing in front of me. Yeah. You know? But in high school, I probably would have been like, you need to get out of my way yeah. and let me see the shot. You know? Yeah. Um, There's the one instance I, I've told a time or two on the podcast. One of my games, I'm on my right post, and I, I know there's a guy back here just all alone. And my defense was literally standing right here, and I'm pointing. I'm like, cover him cover him and he's not five six times i tell him because i know what's coming the guy is in the corner with the puck battle and as soon as he comes out he passes the guy tips it in and i turn to just like bring this guy out and he just looks at me and goes oh you meant that guy and i just started laughing it was like yeah you know because that's the thing too is like not all my teammates played organized hockey until beer yeah. league. so it's like they don't see the game the way we do but it was just so funny like i tell him like five or six times cover that guy because I know it's coming if you don't and then it happened he's like oh you met that guy <laughs> yeah you know it, while, while I would have liked to have played more senior year I had my coaches asking me for advice not well not advice necessarily but like what 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 I'm seeing out there because when you're watching the game and not in it you see so much more developing and how players play on the other team and what yeah what plays they're running and all these things and uh, it, it gave me a unique opportunity just to kind of understand the game better. So when yeah. I did play, I knew what to look for or, you know, whatever it might be. Um, but you're right. Not everybody, not everybody gets that opportunity. And I, I will tell you, most of the guys I play with now did not play any organized hockey. Yeah. In fact, most of them didn't start until they started playing beer league hockey. Yeah. And so uh, I, 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 I give them a lot of slack when it comes to certain yeah. things that yeah, we, we got one fellow on our team. Um, he's he's an ankle bender. Like his they they bend when he skates. He's only played beer league hockey. In the couple of years we've been playing together, he has gotten better, um, but he has hockey sense. And late in a game, I want him on the ice over some of our other defensemen. Um, I don't think there's ever been an odd man rush that he hasn't broken up. And it's not because he's a great player. It's because he's got hockey sense. And, you know, when, when there is that on man rush and I'm saying, take the shooter, he listens to me. Or when I say, take the pat, you know, take away the pass, he's listening to me and actually doing that. Not just yeah. like, ah, I'm going to do what I want to do. Like he just, and uh, there, there's sometimes after games, he's like, Hey, in this situation, what should I have done? It's like, I like that out of him. But again, mm-hmm. he's got that hockey sense where not, all guys who haven't come up playing organized hockey have. I mean, there's times me and my dad will go to a Hawks game or something. And we like to sit up high to see the plays yeah. and he'll look at me and go, what are you seeing right now? And I'm like, well, I can see they're running a, you know, two, one, two, or they're running an umbrella. He's like, what do you mean? And I, you know, so I got, got to try and explain it to him without having a teleprompter, <laughs> but I'm able to do it. 
And he's yeah. like, oh, okay, okay. You know, so it's just kind of fun when he's looking at me going, you're seeing a completely different game than me right now. And yeah. it's, you know, interesting to get in the head headspace there. Listen, I, I still give players on my team unsolicited advice all the time. Most of them don't take it. Yeah. Like when I say, hey, if you're going to pinch, make sure you have it. Don't don't pinch the line unless unless you know you're going to get the puck. Yeah. And the amount of odd man rushes we give up still every game because they don't listen to me. Yeah. Uh, I've gotten really good at breakaways over the years. Um, thank God I still have my flexibility because I'm able, you know, they're not expecting a 40 year old beerly goalie to pull out the splits, but I do I that. How you do that, Joe. I was just talking <laughs> to my wife about that the other night. I'm like, this guy used to be able to do I'm, I'm shocked that you still can, but I'm like in high school, he used to be able to do the splits and he, he did them all the time. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. I, do you remember I would uh, do them between the two chairs and I would like literally be down, you know, past the, being straight it was just down between two chairs it was just I don't know I've been blessed to be flexible and part of that goes back to you know going to Darren McCluskey's goalie camps you know his career ended his pro career ended because he didn't stretch before practice and he blew his knee out Mm -hmm. so he drilled it into us like you stretch in the locker room you stretch as soon as you get on the ice and then at the end of practice you stretch again so like I've just always been stretching and then even in college you know my friends would pick on me because we'd be sitting in a dorm room watching a movie or something. I'm sitting there, you know, in the butterfly, uh, you know, stretching my legs or, you know, if I'm sitting on the floor by myself, sometimes I didn't realize I was doing the splits and just kind of like leaning forward. And yeah, one of those things I, I was blessed with and have kept up, you know, but I don't always use the splits. Sometimes I got to stack the pads. I got to get the style (laughs) points. Uh, I, I still, that's the thing. Like I still play like I did in high school where it was very yeah. unorthodox and well, now I'm a little more positional, but sometimes I'll throw the old like pad stack or like, I'll try and like flip over, you know, do some crazy stuff. And it, it probably wasn't good for you to play organized hockey for the first time with me as the starting goalie, because I, I wasn't <laughs> a great role model for technicality. Um, and, and I can see a little bit of my game rub off into you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, the acrobatics were, were the dramatic flair you love to live for. Yeah. Well, very much of, you know, I don't care if I'm out of position or the play's gotten away from me, I'm still going to make an effort to stop the puck. And that, that's what it came down to is like, do, do what you have to do. Um, you know, so yeah, there's that. Um, one thing I wanted to touch upon is along the way, and this doesn't surprise me knowing you along the way, you started dabbling with the idea of politics. Mm-hmm. You're now running as we see the sign behind you for city council. Yes. Um, there's a podcaster here in the twin cities, got a great show. It's called garage logic. He was on the radio for many years. Then they realized they could make more money on a podcast and reach a greater audience. So they keep it up, but he, he's mentioning all the time that it's becoming harder and harder to find people our age who think logically, <laughs> you know, there, there are politicians <laughs> our age, but they're kind of wackos. doesn't matter what side of the aisle are they're on, yeah. but people our age that think logically to get them to run for office, it, it, you know, and he notes that it's probably because of the current culture of, you know, digging into past, so, you know, the woke culture, you say the wrong, you know, not even the wrong thing, but forget a comma in your speech yeah. and they're going to take the inflection wrong. Right. Um, you know, but, but he also said, you know, there was a time when most politicians were in politics because they wanted to do good, where now it feels like most politicians are in politics because 
they want to see what the office can do for them. Yeah. Um, but when I look at you, you know, I, I think we can both agree. We might sit on opposite sides of the aisle, but we, we sit pretty close to each other towards that mm-hmm. center. Um, and I know from knowing you that you are in politics because you want to and believe you can do good for people. Um, yeah. But knowing today's culture, why, you know, why put up with that headache? Because um, it matters. You know, I mean, it, it's it's an oversimplistic answer, but I mean, if if we continue to allow individuals that aren't in it for the right reasons to dictate the policies of the masses, you don't really get change, you know, like it's not yeah. benefiting everybody if one person's the only one benefiting from it. So, you know, for me, and like, I'm not going to go into a whole campaign speech, no one's listening <laughs> for that reason, but, you know, it's, um, you know, it's, it's important that people that are logical you know, I mean, the, the, the race I'm running in is a nonpartisan race, right? And everything yeah. I talk about is community oriented. It's what we can do to build our city for all of us, not just mm-hmm. for what aligns with me politically, because at the end of the day, what, what my thoughts are at the national and state level don't matter at the city level, right? Yeah. And so at the city level, you really can't have partisanship because you need to work with a lot of different moving parts in order to get things done. But also you have to bear in mind that this is what your community will shape for decades to come, whatever mm-hmm. you put in place there, like if you're going to build housing, you better make sure it's in the right spot because if it's in the wrong spot, you can't just knock it down and do it. Yeah. Rezoning's you know? hard. <laughs> yeah. Right. And so, you know, um, it, it, the, the challenge is to, to the point you made though, is like, it is a toxic environment. I mean, national politics is, is dripped all the way down to the city level. It's dripped down yep. to school boards, you know? Yep. I mean, if you ever see some of the stuff going on at our school boards, it's the same but, um, you know, I think you know, school me, board like, races are worse than city races. A hundred percent. You know, <laughs> yeah. and, it, and I don't, I don't want to look, I don't want to blame one side or the other because, you know, there, there's quirks on both sides, but trying to find the common ground between the differences has been a, a larger challenge because now instead of having conversations, it's you're wrong and I'm right versus yeah. like, Hey, where do we meet in the middle? And I've been fortunate enough to surround myself with people that do have diverse opinions uh, from from my own. And every time I walk away, you know, it's a handshake and let's finish our beer. It's yeah. never been like, hey, I'm unfriending you and don't ever talk to me again. Yeah. You know, I've, I've had blowout arguments with friends of mine that once they're over, that's it. You know, yeah. just disagree. You know, it's interesting you say that somewhere along the way, I got hooked on presidential memoirs. Um in fact, it was when George W. Bush's book came out. We bought it for my father-in-law for Christmas. And then he went ahead and bought it for himself before we were able to give it to him. So I was like, well, I guess I'll read it. And I was like, this is really cool. So then I read Clinton's. I was working my way backwards and I got to Jimmy Carter's. Um, Jimmy Carter is one of the the best people we've had in office. Mm-hmm. Um, just his humanitarian efforts and just kind-heartedness, great person, but his writing style is so damn dry. I think it took me two and a half years to get through that book, because I would read some of it, I would put it down, read another book, uh, and I don't know if you remember Frank Cheers from Brother Rice, but he and I, we've kept in touch, and that you know, really familiar. he says the same thing, like, God, that was such a hard book to get through, but that after that one, I started at Washington, I'm working my way forward now, but the one thing that stuck out to me in Ronald Reagan's biography was him saying the same thing, you know, his um, battles with Tip O'Neill are legendary. They did not get along politically, but they had dinner every single week. 
together. Mm -hmm. They were friends away from politics. Uh, they, they cared about each other. And it, as he outlined in the book, when there was a debate coming up on a topic, the first thing they did is they found out where they had middle ground. Because they said, no matter how the debate goes, we know right here, if this is all we have to move forward, we have something to benefit the people. We can work on all of these other things we don't agree on, but at least we yeah. have this to move forward. And that doesn't happen enough anymore. No. Uh, it's just, it's almost like a scorched earth. I want all or nothing. There's going to be no compromise. And then when somebody does compromise, they're destroyed for it. You know, right. Mitt Romney, like him or hate him, I think has done a great job of compromising over the recent years. And it, it's just amusing to read some of the responses to but, him compromising. Like he'll outline like, hey, we didn't get what we wanted, but we were able to get these important things put in there. You know, yeah. but to do that, we had to make some concessions and people are like, you should have never conceded. It's like, well, then we wouldn't have gotten anything done. And, you know, if he's not the perfect example of, you know, in 2012, when he ran against Barack Obama, the 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 other side painted him as this like far right wing yeah. whack job. And then as the political winds have shifted so hard in the opposite direction of yeah. both sides, uh, he, he is the logical middle ground individual, you know? Yeah. And, and it's a dying, it's a dying thing. You know, like, look, if, if it's no secret, you know, I, I have a D next to my name, but I don't agree with every Democrat that, yep. that speaks. In fact, I feel like there's some that are just way out there yep. that, you know, it, it just furthers the divide. Yeah. Um, and it, it happens on the other side of the aisle too. I mean, I, I've messaged you before about uh, certain politicians is like, Hey, what does your side think about this one? You know, like, and <laughs> you, you, you are honest. And it's like, okay, I feel better. Yeah, <laughs> like I mean, they, they might be getting the airtime, but nobody's really listened to them. Okay. Yeah. good. <laughs> listen, people in my own party, sometimes they don't like my answers, but I'm not, I'm not going to bullshit people. You know, like yeah. if, if that's how I feel about something, that's how I feel. And, and if you want to read a good book, I don't know if you've ever picked it up. It's about Abraham Lincoln when he was forming his cabinet. Team Arrivals. Yeah. 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 That that's on my reading list. I just haven't gotten to Lincoln yet. I'm yeah, a slow it's, reader. It's, it's good. It, it's it's kind of a dry read as well, but yeah. it's just interesting when you see how he kind of developed his entire cabinet of people, uh, especially individuals that were staunchly in, in disagreement with him. Yeah, so. my, my dad read it and he loved it because he loves Civil War history, but he said, you know, it was kind of the he packed his cabinet with people who didn't agree with him, who were yeah. his rivals, because that was the best way to understand and make decisions that were going to benefit the majority, not just those who agreed with them. I, I just, yeah. so yeah, that's, how, that's on my reading list. And, and stuff like that allows you to see things that you might otherwise miss and come become blind to just because you're trying to speak to an agenda versus speaking to, to what the populace needs, you know? Yeah. So. Well, and I, I think one thing that, uh, politics misses is you know it used to be at the end of the day politicians you know at least in washington they'd go out and have dinner together they, they, they would have that beer together well now instead of having those meals together they're having the meals with the lobbyists instead of you know the other politicians and it's kind of, feels kind of funny saying it but we just need to have more beer together <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you. And, yeah. and you know the, the the funny thing is there are more americans like yourself and myself that while we may differ 
on spectrum. Uh, we really are more more in the middle ground of, of what we want. Like, listen, like I'm, I'm not a progressive, but I do believe in like free healthcare and free education and all those things. You know, I don't label myself a progressive, but I don't believe in blowing up the system to get there. Right. But there's a common ground of wanting the betterment of, of everybody. And, and there are more Americans that are like that than there are that are these far right yeah. and far left. Um, but, you know, sometimes the loudest person in the room gets the most airtime. Yep. And, and that's what you see. And plus, we've become so divisive. And, and listen, I'm not going to blame the last president because this started 30 years ago. Yeah, it, it's just it's continuously gotten worse and worse. Social media has just amplified it. But, you know, yeah. to bring it back to hockey, that, that's the great thing about Beer League is, yeah. you know, some of these discussions happen in the locker room. I, I hear them, but they're happening over a beer. And yeah. we're listening to each other and, you know, at the end of the day, we all go out on the ice. We have some fun. We come back, we have another beer and we call it, you know, yeah. we call it a day and there's no respect loss. It's just an exchange no. of ideas and philosophies and, you know, but there's that. Um, I mean, look, some of my biggest donors for this race have been people that don't agree with me politically, but they understand that I'm going to work on behalf of the people yeah. and not my own self-interest, you know? So, yeah. Well, and it, probably good that social media didn't exist back when we were playing high school hockey. No comment. <laughs> <laughs> I, I would say, I, I think we were a pretty good bunch. Um, but yeah. We weren't the troublemakers. Um, our, our share of stupid stuff was like locker boxing and that kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, when, when we went out, it, it wasn't, crazy like listen you, you hear our parents tell stories about the 70s and yeah drugs and all. i mean that that's not what it was when we were going out you know i mean we go to house parties and stuff but it, it was very tame yeah relative to to what i'd hear from back in the day so yeah i i sort of, some of the house parties i went to it was like we're just all getting together to go watch a movie it was usually a clockwork orange i don't know why our generation loved well the south side of chicago loved that movie uh, or it was we're going to Huck Finn because our friends who smoked could smoke there while the rest of us <laughs> ate donuts. Um, yeah. Like that, that was our high school years. Uh, what a great yeah. place that was. Yeah. Um, Stale bread and chicken noodle soup. Yeah. You know, I, the, the one thing about moving away from Chicago that I think most people don't understand is how much we miss the food. Um, you know, luckily for me, we have Portillo's here in Minnesota now, and we have White Castle. So it's like mm -hmm. two of the biggest chains that I loved are at least close by. In fact, my mom and dad are coming for Christmas and they, they live in North Carolina now. Um, so my mom's like, we have to go to Portillo's. I was like, mom, trust me, if we don't stop on the way home from the airport, we're going the day after Christmas. Don't worry. And she's like, my mom never liked White Castle. She's like, and you have to get your dad there. I was like, don't worry. I've already got that trip planned too, Ma. Don't worry I, about it. I, every time I'm home, I go to Fox's Pizza. I go to Rosie's to get a Euro. I'll go get an Italian beef sandwich, either from Frankie's or Pops. Yeah. I'm in a pinch. I'll go. We, we have a Portillo's up in Anaheim. Um, and I'll get a pizza puff from Rosano's. Yeah. Uh, you know, but you don't get that food out. You're right. I, I miss it terribly. And listen, the food out here is good. If you love seafood and sushi and all that yeah. stuff, it's amazing. But you can't get, like, I've, I've yet to have a pizza that is even comparable to a decent pizza in Chicago, let alone the best pizza in Chicago. So the, so. the food in Minnesota has definitely gotten better the last 20 years. Um, 
There's one place not too far from us that has a really good thin crust pizza. It was on Diners, Dives, and Drive-In. But it's their meat lover pizza is the good one. They call it the heart attack. But we got this other place right down the road in White Bear Lake that has one of my top five all-time deep dish pizzas. The only reason they have a good deep dish pizza is the executive chef who opened the place and then unfortunately passed away shortly after opening it was from Chicago. So their food is authentic Chicago deep dish. Uh, so whenever, you know, somebody from Chicago comes, it's like, now I got to take you here. And, uh, and they're like, yep, this is, this is good, uh, good deep dish. So my, my kids love it because of that. But uh, yeah, when, whenever I go home, Nick and Vito's is my place. Um, in fact, yeah, it was about two, three years ago, I took the kids uh, into Chicago, visit my sister. We flew in, we went down to the Maggie Daly skating ribbon and, you know, did all that stuff. And then we were going to go to Nick and Vito's the second night. Well, it started snowing overnight. And then we went to the Museum of Science and Industry because school was already canceled. So we took my nieces with, and I know how to drive in the snow because I'm a Minnesotan. So mm-hmm. most of the roads were unplowed still. There was probably only seven or eight inches, nothing bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it just kept snowing while we were at the museum. And it was awesome because there was maybe 25 other people at the museum that weren't working that day. So like we got the private experience, which was awesome. Uh, but we get out and make our way home uh, and, you know, pick up my sister and my brother-in-law and we drive over to Nick and Vito's. They had closed 30 minutes earlier because of the snow. And my kids were like, no, because they had seen it on the Food Network and everything else. They were all excited. Uh, we're, we wound up at Palermo's. They were still open. Yeah, still yeah. good pizza. but. Yeah. It's all right. Yeah. It, but, but what's funny is, like, I've had to explain this to people. Bad pizza in Chicago is really good pizza anywhere else. Yeah. So, like, you mentioned Fox's. I never really liked Fox's because, to me, it was too greasy. Yep. But I'll take people, a Fox's people. pizza any day. In fact, that, that was my first job was putting Fox's um, coupons on door handles. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, look, it, it is greasy, but it, it, it's one of my favorites, you know? Um, yeah. And, and and it's more of a chain, but beggars, I, I like them too. But yeah, uh, there's just so many good ones over there in, in, on the south side of Chicago. It's it's impossible to, like like you said, even the bad ones are still really good. Yeah. The only ones I the only one I really and I hope none of them listen to this podcast, but the only ones I never really liked were Baracos. Uh, their their sauce was too sweet, and I like the mm-hmm. more traditional, like spicier, authentic. Yeah. So yeah, you know, but yeah. Yeah, hey, I, I'd take a Baracos pizza tonight, though. I would, I would take one of those all day long. Right <laughs> yeah, now, yeah, you know. Although I, I could go for a Wojo's milkshake right about now too. I haven't had one of those, and I'm not even exaggerating. Like probably 20 years. Oh, sa- same here. Um, unfortunately, I just I don't, I don't get, I don't get back to there? Chicago often. Because, um, like I said, my mom and dad they moved out to North Carolina to some coastal island. I think it's about five or six years ago, they moved out there full time. They bought a condo out there and they were coming back and forth. And finally they're like, every time we come back to Chicago, we just get angry. So they moved out there full time. And, you know, so when I visit them, I go out there and it's just my sister and her family left there, but uh, you know, kids and all that stuff. It's, it's hard to find time to go, go back there as much as I would like to. And right now with the current 
crime climate, I, I don't really care to go there either. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Yeah, so. although my, my wife and daughter and mother-in-law are going there in March because my daughter, some reason, her favorite singer is Reba McIntyre. Uh, and she's performing at the uh, All State Arena in March, so they're they're oh, going nice. down for that. And it's like, first thing I told my daughter is like, I played hockey in that arena because I think it was our freshman year we uh, got to play there before a Wolves game. Yeah, and she's like, of course you've played there, Dad. You played everywhere around the city. It's like, well, yeah, I, but I never, I never got to play at the United Center. We were one one game away. Yeah, from, from getting to play there. I didn't get to play there, but they built so many rinks too. It's crazy how many rinks there are now. Uh, Just crazy. Um, But we've been talking for a while, so I want to keep things moving. I close out every episode with a list of 10, I still call them rapid fire questions, but they're really not. But they're the same 10 questions I've asked every guest. Um, So the same ones I asked Eddie Bell for. Uh, So the first one is, what's the craziest coaching moment from your playing days? The craziest coaching moment, uh, you know, I, we had a coach, uh, Mike Mahalik, that I will never forget. There was this kid, Mike Dixis, on our team, and he literally grabbed him by the helmet back when you could do this and, like, just grabbed him by the cage and started screaming in his face. And uh, I, I, it, for me, it was so unorthodox because no one does that, uh, even, even back in the early 2000s. And so it just it's something that's always just stuck in my head. Uh, or, or when uh, Ryan Bush got punched in the face uh, with his helmet on by Coach Pembroke uh, <laughs> at one of the practices. <laughs> yeah. But he, you know what was great about that Ryan Bush moment? Like, he knew he deserved it. Mm-hmm. And his mom and dad knew he deserved it. So nobody, yeah. like, rose, nope. you know, got angry about it. And, I mean, Coach Pembroke he knew just hitting him in the cage wasn't going to do anything to him. It was just, it was going to get his attention, but it was just like, (laughs) you know, I I don't know how how much you knew of uh, Mr. Bush, but he was just kind of one of those grizzled old firemen that he's like, you know, very much. If you got in trouble at school, you're getting in trouble at home. We're we're not going to stop to listen to your side of the story. Teacher said you did something wrong. You did something wrong. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Mr. Bush was a, uh, a good guy. Um, so the next question, what's your favorite all-time goalie mask? You know what? It, I'm, I own it. It's an Ed Belfour mask. Uh, it's probably his from with the, well, I, I don't have the wishbone one, but uh, his wishbone, uh, the first one he came out with that, with the red top and before he had Eagle put into the side, like the, the yeah. Eagle put in the side. The first um, Miska one. Yeah. yeah I know what I you're talking mind, about. That, one, that one's always, always just been a favorite mask of mine uh it, i idolized the guy growing up so that's probably why but yeah that, that that's still my favorite mask yeah you know it's funny like i i love the belfour masks and you know people ask me well which one's your favorite and it's like i don't know if i can pick out my favorite one because there's so much great detail in all of them yeah, all of the I, different eagles I, I will say the one that he left when he was in uh i think toronto uh, before I think he played one year in Florida after yeah. that, but um, his Toronto mask, the last one that he had, like the the silver with like the light blue haze on it, yeah, that one was pretty sick too. Yeah. Uh, so, but yeah, it's still to this day, those are my favorites. So Todd Miska painted the one you like, and then that 
I, you know, I think when most people think Belfort, kind of the stylized with the eagle hidden in there, and he came up with that design. Bishop painted that one for a while, and then he came back to Miska. But Miska's son is uh, in the Colorado organization. He's been playing in the AHL for the Eagles. So last year he came out and he had the Belfort eagle on his mask. Oh, that's awesome. But in Colorado colors, and it was like, if anybody could wear the eagle mask in pro hockey, that worked. Yep. And it was funny because when I had Eddie on, I was telling him about it. He's like, oh, I, I didn't know that. I'm going to have to check it out. Because, I mean, he, he it was his mask painter, and he worked with him, so he, he knows Hunter. Uh, and now this year, Hunter's mask is the uh, Manny Fernandez Minnesota Wild one. But, mm-hmm. again, in Colorado colors, because that's another mask his dad painted. It's like, I just love how he's got his dad painting, you know, these old, iconic masks that he did, but for his own, you know. Yeah putting a nice little touch on it for his son. It's like that, that works for me. You know, if you're going to do it, do it that way. Right. Um, so what's your favorite rink that you've played at? It's going to be Southwest. And I know yep. it's an old grungy, dingy rink, but you know what? Uh, I, I don't know if it's a nostalgia or if it's the fact that I knew that if the puck was sliding down a certain part on the ice, it would actually roll up and then yep. roll into the corner and become icing. Uh, I just, I knew that rink back and forth. I knew how the boards yep. played. I, I knew everything about it. Uh, and as, as much as the locker rooms were from the fifties or sixties or whatever yep. the hell it was built. You hated um, to get locker room four because you had to take half your stuff out of the bag to get there. To, to walk behind the glass. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but you know, it's always going to hold a place in my heart. I hope they never tear it down. Yeah. Uh, but I, I, I went, I went to that rink. The last time I was home, so it was probably a couple of years ago, and I was really sad to see that the they, they used to keep the the Kennedy Cup on display there because that's where mm-hmm. they'd always award it, right? And now that they don't, you know, it travels with the schools and at the rinks that it's at. But um, just to go back in there, and you know, there's just so many memories that that's where I kind of cut my teeth playing. Um, so it'll always be my favorite rink. I, I can close my eyes and still smell different areas of the rink. Cause like the lobby had, you know, its own smell. The locker rooms had their own smell. Then there was that coaches refs room off to the other side of the bleachers yep. where for goalie camps, we would do our film review on it. It's like they, those, they all had their own little smells. And um, did you play there when they still had the wood boards? Um, on the actual ice? Yeah. They, they had wood boards before they got the, Oh, no, I, I wasn't there for the wood boards. Yeah, those were something else. I mean, you could take a slap shot from the hash marks into the boards, and it would just, like, whoop, fall straight down. And remember, <laughs> the, they shut down for, like, a week or two one summer and got the new boards. And, like, everybody was dumping the puck in from just outside the blue line. And they were having to go back into their own zone to, like, retrieve the puck because yeah. they just weren't used to it. it you know, and the, the old boards, I remember watching people get checked in and it was just like a wave. It would just go like that and all the way down. And then that first time, I remember my, one of my teammates got checked in the first game and he comes back to the bench, just like hurt. And he's like, they have no give. It hurts. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I wish I had seen the old wood ones. Um, yeah. But yeah, South, Southwest, I, I would say Oak Lawn just because of the memories I have there. But like, yeah, yeah that ice was never special. But I, I loved playing there just because it was such a big rink. And it gave yep. you a lot more time to, to react to shots, play the puck, do all that fun stuff. You could well, have like, more, fun, more fun playing there, more room for error. Like you said, the memories. I mean, Friday nights, we didn't have practice or games. Everybody was up there for open skate and I was working it. Um, and, and all the other times, I mean, there were times 
we would wind up there when it was an open skater practice. We'd just go there to hang out. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's some memories from that place from the days working. Yeah, good old uh, rink rat days. Yeah, I, I was sad to hear that they took the organ out of uh, Southwest, but yeah, you know, sign of the times. I, I loved. You know, it's kind of fun telling people that, you know, yeah, Gary Presley, the Cubs organist, used to play our high school hockey games. They're like, no, every, he didn't. Every yep. Saturday he'd be there. It's a true yep. story. Well, and varsity Catholic League games, oh, he would right. be there yeah, too. Yeah. That's right. Every now and then he'd bring his mom to the JV games on Saturday mornings because she liked hockey. And, you know, when you saw her there, you had to sit down and talk. Sweet old lady, but she t- she loved hockey. And she'd come and sit for the morning and watch all the games. And, 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 if, and if you could, if you remember hearing it over – people cheering the the stupid little siren that would play after goals yeah like the yeah that i was... blocked that out <laughs> to me that didn't exist I, I just remember christmas time he played the christmas music and if a goalie made a big save he'd play the uh, all state theme song you're in good hands um i, I liked hearing that one <laughs> yeah, yeah he, he'd do lean on me too yes that that, yeah. that was one of his go-to's but if you were ever at a Cubs game before he retired and he saw you and recognized you, he'd play your school fight song too. Oh, that's awesome. Um, th- that was kind of one of the fun things about him. Um, uh, and I, you know, I'm biased, but I think brother rice has one of the best fight songs. Um, yeah, I agree. So what's your favorite stick that you ever used? Man, you know what? I wish they still made these. It was a Brian's, uh, air light. That was a Sean Burke curve. Um, and it was, it had a, a real light fiberglass wrapping on it. Uh, yeah. It's probably 15 pounds compared to what they make today, but I have, I have looked for that curve. I, I could, I could, you know, I'm not even exaggerating when I say this, cause I, the one thing I was really good at was playing the puck and not me. I could, I could take the puck from below the hash marks and on a, on a fly hit the center ice. Mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, um, I just, I always played the puck well with that stick. They were durable, but it was solid wood. Yeah. I remember that stick. And uh, yeah, to to this day, I've I've never, I've never found a stick. I like as much. Um, Even the ones I use now that I like a lot, it's not, not the same. I still have one, but it's, it's from junior year. Yeah. It's it's all beat up. So I'm never going to use it. I've, uh, I've got a warrior swagger that I've been using for about two, three years now. And it's, it's getting to the point where it's, it's going to fall apart here pretty soon. So I was on pro stock hockey today, looking at, um, sticks and I was like, do I go with the composite? Cause I haven't gone composite yet. And it's like, well, they do have a Vaughn wood stick over here. So I was like, no, I'm sticking with the wood stick still. Can't make it's the change yet. Joe, trust me. They're, they're durable. They're good. Um, I've, I've composite right it's black with like electric green going down because they had them on clearance on goalie monkey yeah and it, it they're great sticks the hardest part now is just making sure you have the right paddle size because i feel like they're even though it's the same length they're, they're different with depending on what brand you get yeah so. and that that is uh very much something i'm aware of so i, I made sure because the uh the warriors tend to measure taller i believe it mm-hmm. is but uh I'm in about 27 and a half inch paddle. So it's like, okay, I'm, I'm going to be all right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's a little bit off, it's, it's not going to impact my game too much to where people are going to notice and point it out. <laughs> I, I still play with that, that big five hole. So I crouch down a bit more. So I use a 26 and a half, but yeah, uh, see, I, I do the same thing, but my 
first stick that I owned that was an association owned was an old Titan senior stick. So wow. I've always had, you know, even as a squirt that I was kind of like this. So I'm just used to holding that arm up a little bit more. Kind of like Belfort in those early years when he was like yeah. this, you know, that's, I'm not quite that exaggerated. No, I have, I have uh, <laughs> pared that down quite a bit. Uh, it was about in college where I was like, this, of course, when I started getting free tape, when I was like, no, this just takes too much time. But that's yeah. also when I was going through sticks a lot more too, because right. I mean, thank God we were getting them three for 20 bucks at a pop. But, uh, you know, I was going through this stick every week and a half, two weeks. So I was like, wow. to sit there and <laughs> tape that knob yeah, that yeah. much. Um, no, the, the size I do now, uh, I don't know if you've seen the butt end grips, but they have a goalie grip, the century, cent, century, I think it is. And it's the same exact size. So the last stick I got, I actually got the butt end grip and put it on there. And it did pretty good for two, you know, they're not supposed to last two, two and a half years, but it, it did last. I just had to pull the uh, handle part off two or three weeks ago. Cause it was just so deteriorated. Yeah. Um, but the knob part's still great. So that's still on there. That's awesome. Uh, but I, I still do the grip in the tape, you know, down at where the paddle meets oh, the shaft. Yeah. I, I, I've changed. I have one, one wrap that goes around twice on the, on the handle. And then I, I do about a three quarters of an inch all the way around on the, on the butt of the stick. And that's, mm-hmm. but I still, I still, I still run tape down the paddle on both sides and then tape the whole thing, you know, toe to toe to heel. Uh, yeah. So yeah. I, I used to do the, the tape down the sides, but I stopped doing that. I think in college when I, wasn't worried about how long the stick would last. Um, and I just haven't gone back to it. But again, to your point, sticks are more durable now, so you don't necessarily need it. And it's funny you mentioned that because when I was talking to Sammy Joe Small, she said that uh, Louisville stick, the TPS that I think Dovalina used um, early on, uh, you know, it kind of had that reinforcement built into it, the, the yep. Trevor Kidd stick. And uh, that's when I first started doing that when I saw Trevor Kidd do it. Yeah. Um, so what is your favorite youth hockey memory I honestly it's before I like I said before I started playing organized hockey like just getting all the neighborhood kids together like I would actually say even beyond the neighborhood kids like when Joe Eastman and I would just it'd, it'd be me playing goalie and him just firing shots uh I mean we we'd come right home from school we'd know where to meet in the cul-de-sac and we'd literally play till sundown and we couldn't find the puck yep. anymore uh, those are probably my favorite memories, uh, from playing when I was younger, just because it was, it was just fun. I and mean, we would listen for the train horns over on, uh, 90, 93rd and central. And, yeah. uh, we would, if I was playing forward for whatever reason, I would try and score when it was going off and he would do the same. So, <laughs> you know, just yeah. those, those fun little things. I remember playing street hockey in front of the house with uh, the neighbor kid and we could play into the night cause there was a street light right in front of the house. So was, we got real lucky. If we were like two or three houses down, it would have been too dark, but we yeah. just, we were lucky that there was that streetlight right over us. Well, then they came out with those glow in the dark pucks and that, that certainly helped as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's the best chirp you've heard on the ice, off the ice, my guess, probably in the locker room from your own teammates. Oh man, I would, <laughs> I would, I don't even know. It's, <laughs> That's a good question, Joe. I, I would have to really think about it because I always just forget about them the moment I hear them. Yeah. Um, 
I'll, I'll get back to you on that one. Yeah. I, I, I genuinely don't know. I, I still remember um, Eddie Belfour was traded. I think it was my sophomore year. So you would have been in eighth grade. That's when he was traded to San Jose and he was traded on a Friday night. And I know that we had a Catholic league JV game Saturday morning. And I let in six goals in the first period. And at the uh, postseason awards banquet, our coach, Paul Hamilton, gets up there and he goes, well, if I learned one thing this year, it's not to start Joe the day after Eddie Belfour has been traded because he wears his morning band around his eyes. And I was like, oh, that hurts, but that was good. <laughs> it, it wasn't a chirp, but one of my favorite moments playing is when I went to peak performance, there was this goalie that was there that just thought he was such hot shit. And there was a scrimmage we played and they let in six goals. And uh, he comes up to me after. He's like, "You suck, man." He's like, "You don't. You shouldn't even be out here." And I'm like, "You know, whatever." And the very next day, he let in six goals. I'm like, "Man, you are not very good either, huh?" <laughs> you, you know. I'm like, right. so, yeah. You know me. I'm a smart ass. Uh, but yeah. you know, I, I, for me, it was. I don't know if it was necessarily a chirp, but it was definitely a sweet moment. To, yeah. To, to experience. Yeah. So, what's the worst post game beer? the worst yeah um wow uh i would i would probably say a, a miller high life uh would be the worst beer to have after a game um for a multitude of reasons uh just it just kind of lingers on your tongue yep. especially when you're dehydrated um a little more carbonation than most beers too yeah yeah it, i haven't had that happen too often that those would even be in the locker room because we yeah. kind of have strict uh, no no bad beer policy, but <laughs> yeah, that that would be the one that I would say. But Miller High Life in general is not a great beer, so yeah. hopefully I don't offend anybody by saying that. It's the champagne of beers. It some people call it that. That's yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'm always amused. I, I hear about it more from like the California rinks, where they have like these strict no beer in the locker room rules and all of this. It's like. Well, then why do you let adult teams in? Like, that's yeah. part of the deal. There's a rink um, in Blaine, the Florida Arena. They had their own bar. It wasn't as nice of a setup as uh, SIA where it overlooked the ice, but it was connected to the rink, and they had a curling rink, you know, so mm -hmm. overlooked the curling rink. So they had kind of a policy of, look, we're going to look the other way as long as you don't leave the cans in you know, the garbage can. So like everybody knew we can bring the beer to Fogarty. We just have to make sure all of the empty cans get crushed and put back in the box. So whoever brought the beer is taking the empties home. Like it was just kind of a nice little understanding, but yeah. then the rink, my leagues out of the super rink, you'd love that place. They have eight sheets of ice. It's wow. amazing. It's where the uh, women's Olympic team calls home. Wow. Um, like the, beer league director just put a video out i think it was last week and like he starts it off by cracking open a beer in the ring <laughs> like, yeah that like th there's no illusions why we're all there you know they they just they, they make sure we keep it in, in check and you know yeah. we're all adults about it so it should be i mean they have they have recycling bins for us and they have somebody that comes through and actually collects the recycling to recycle it yeah. Uh, at the end of each night. And I mean, they are every Sunday they're to the brim packed. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I, yeah, it's 
What, what the other nice thing too is if we have an early game, there's a brewery right across the street from the rink, and sometimes my teammates will meet there before the games if the game's mm-hmm. early. And it's like, I appreciate it, fellas, but your game really can't uh, handle beer yeah. before games. Um, although I, I have found one beer before the game does help calm the nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to try it. Yeah, I, I recommend, you know, not, don't shotgun or, or anything, but just, you know, a nice leisurely as you're getting ready, a nice beer before, it just kind of calms you. Yeah, um, I, I knew a goalie that used to put uh, vodka in his water bottle, not the full thing. Yeah. But he'd, he'd make like a like a vodka lemonade and put it in his water bottle. And so, obviously this is a men's league. It wasn't any league play. But, but, uh, yeah. but that doesn't work for me, the logistics of it, because it's going to get sticky. You know, like I get my, I have the team I just skated with uh, this fall. They would bring a few beers out to the bench, but that works for them because they can sit down and actually drink it. I can't yeah. put one on the back of my net. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it just, it, it doesn't work. Um, so the next question, you kind of answered yeah. it already. You know, when, when you tape your stick, do you go heel to toe or toe to heel? You said toe to heel. So you're in the minority of goalies. Why do you go well, toe to heel? I, I actually, I, I apologize. I was saying that just for the purpose of aesthetics uh, visually, but I, I go heel toe. Okay. All right. Because yeah. I was going to say most goalies go heel to toe. I don't even know how you could do toe to heel without getting all jacked up at the heel of the stick. Th- that's one of the main reasons I do it the way I do. And yeah, I forget who I was having the conversation with, you know, kids today, don't even go all the way to the heel yet alone up the heel yeah. like we did. I mean, we, I still tape up the heel. And I think a lot of people our age still do because when we were coming up with wood sticks, you had to, that's how you mm-hmm. uh, preserved your stick to last a little bit longer. And, you know, I, I joke with people, anybody who's had a Christian goalie stick, you, you know, if it was the, tell me you owned a Christian goalie stick without saying you owned one, it would be a picture <laughs> of your goalie stick with the, in the vice grip after you put the glue back in yeah. it to, close that heel back up but it's like we did that for a purpose today you don't have to with the composites right um I, you know I, I still look at the pictures of Hashik where he's got the tape three quarters of the way up the paddle it's like yeah that stick had to have been 10 pounds uh, yeah I mean I I could never have done that um but you know there's a reason he had a long NHL career and you know a couple Stanley Cups and yeah I, I, beyond high school I, I was having a conversation with somebody the other day and, you know, they loved Martin Brodeur and, you know, we said if Dominic Hasek played on those New Jersey teams, it wouldn't be a discussion. He would be the greatest goaltender ever to play the game yeah. because he would have had the span that Brodeur did, you know, mm-hmm. but if, if we, in my opinion, if we look at a snapshot in time, I think Brodeur's or uh, Hasek's the best for a snapshot in time. If we look at a career, it's got to be Brodeur because of his longevity and the fact that he was able to be elite for the entire career. Yeah. I, I just had this conversation on Sunday with somebody who told me that Marty Brodeur was an overrated goaltender. And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you can, you can say whatever you want, but overrated is not one thing you can yeah. call him. I mean, even the team that got, what was it? 2012 when the Kings won. Yeah. Like they were only there, but for Martin Brodeur. Yeah. Like, didn't even been in the finals that year. And I mean, that, I think that speaks volumes to him. Um, and, and, but I mean, you look at the goaltending class that he had, I mean, it was, it was Brodeur, Belfort, Waugh, yeah. 
for five or six seasons in a row that were that were either in the finals or or winning the Stanley Cup. Yep. And you know, I mean, th- those uh, even looking back, you know, I love Ed Belfour, but you know, I, I don't even play Homer with them anymore. Like, right? You look at the body of work between Wah and Brodeur and Hasek. Like, you know, Ed Belfour, is a great Hall of Famer. Right. He's number four on my list. Yeah. You know, and it's, um, uh, it's yeah, it's. It's crazy when you get when you get the chance to actually look back and reflect at the goaltending we had uh, to grow up watching, and you know every generation has it with your Carey Prices now, or yeah, um, you know all all these guys that are there. But it's also a very different game, just like in any sport. Yeah, so. well, and it's funny you say it because early on I thought Broder was overrated because it's like, well, look at that Devils defense, and then you got like you said, Hashik, Wa, um, Belfour, Joseph, Potvin. Yeah. Richter. I mean, you had, you know, half the league had Hall of Fame caliber goalies. And then you got this guy getting, you know, 20 shots a game, you know, and they're playing the trap, but he was still shutting them out every yeah, damn night, and, it seemed and, like. You know, I, I, the, only, the only thing I'll say about Marty Brodeur is if you ever look at the saves he made, yep. even with that great defense, because, like, you had to beat that defense to get those shots, but, like, the saves he made when they had those opportunities to score, like, it, it's not even – Right. He probably saw more high danger chances on average because of that. Um, But again, because he was able to last so long and keep that level of play. And I kind of laughed when I was watching that last finals he played in against LA because, you know, they would show quick and I I loved quick during those years because he was just a phenomenal goaltender for those, Mm -hmm. that short span, but you know, his leg pads, you couldn't see his hockey pants. Yeah. You look at Brodeur and like, you could see his hockey pants. You could see a part of his upper leg. And then you yeah. saw like, he still, he played the modern game with modern equipment, but old school specs. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, from, from a technical standpoint, I would say Wah was a better positional goaltender, but yep. you know, that's, that's as far as I would take that. Well, they changed uh, the rules because of Brodeur, you know, it, it to me that that says mm-hmm. a lot when, when they change the rules of the game because of you um you have to be halfway yeah. decent um and to me i still think that's the dumbest rule in the sport of hockey like you want to increase scoring well don't penalize your offensive minded goaltender set yeah um, yeah so next question what's your favorite number to wear and why so 31 um i don't know where that number popped into my head, but uh, I remember having to wear number 20 because I was the slow, slowest skater freshman year. Yep. And so I got stuck with the whatever jersey nobody wanted uh, and it ended up being number 20. Um, and then, you know, I I know I grew up, like I said, I, I talked about it at Belfort, but like I grew up with him being number 30 and number 20. Um, didn't, didn't want that number. And I just, for whatever reason, I liked the number 31. And when I had the opportunity to get it, I had it put on my jersey and that was the first jersey when when rice started actually like sewing the numbers on the jerseys yeah and uh so that's how i ended up with it there's no there's no specific reason why i picked 31 i just liked the number and uh it was it was there yeah no sometimes that's how it works i mean that's how i wound up on 39 it was 35 was taken when i got to st mary's and 39 was the biggest one in the 
the closet. So that that's my number now, <laughs> you know, but it, it, as I said uh, to one of my teammates at the time, it's like, th- this number suits me better. <laughs> you yeah. know, just, it, it fits my style of play. Um, so the last question, what advice do you have for young goalies? Man, I, I would tell you like, don't get frustrated. You know, like it is a difficult position to play. It takes a lot of hard work. And the game has evolved so much since we were young, you know, the the position itself is so different. Um, But like, don't, don't ever stop learning, you know, like Mm -hmm. don't, don't think you're better than, than the game itself, because it will beat you if that's, if that's how your mentality is. Uh, And also like, it's easier said than done, especially when you're young, but like, take it one shot at a time. You're letting a goal, like don't, don't let that affect how you're playing moving forward. Cause especially when I was young, uh, when I let in a goal, especially if it was a bad goal in my mind, that that would impact the way I thought and played the rest of the game and to my own detriment, you know, because mm-hmm. there were games that I played much worse simply because I gave up a soft goal early on and it affected me the rest of the game. Yeah. Well, um, Ted Lasso, be a goldfish. Yeah. It's got to forget it, you know. Yeah. Shell, by the way. Um, so we, we ripped through that in like two weeks. All oh, same, same yeah. here. You know, it's funny you say, you know, be resilient because my first varsity game, we're playing Providence at Providence and first shot goes right by me. And it, it was a good shot, you know, but I probably should have had it, but nerves and everything else. And the ref comes up to me, smiles. He goes, well, you got that out of the way. Let's have a good game now. And I wound up going on to have a good, I think we lost the game three to two, yeah. uh, but it, it was just funny. You just kind of smile. Hey, you got it out of the way. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah, that, that, that's a good way to look at it. Like, got, got that first one done, out of the way, let's bounce back. And, and uh, yeah, it was one of those hey, things I'll never forget. If it makes you feel any better, Joe, my the very first Catholic League varsity game I played in, there was a guy, Mike Wolf on Fenwick. I remember him. The first two shots he took on me went in. Yeah. And I got pulled, and we lost that game three to two. I uh, I still joke, you know, we we were playing – during the uh, Timmy Stapleton years when he was at Fenwick and uh, even worse, I I wound up going to some of the Billy Zito skates that he talks about, you know, where Zito saw Stapleton and was like, you know, you you got some skill and he wound up getting them playing the NHL and KHL. And I was like, now I skated with Zito and he didn't say that to me. So, you know, I'm a little offended that he didn't see any potential in me other than I was a live body in the net. Yeah. I, I always think it's fun to see Al, Man, Al, Al Montoya playing because uh, I, I think he was there my freshman year before he graduated from Loyola. Yeah, but it's uh, it's it's always fun. I don't I don't even know if he's still in the NHL. Last I knew he was in Winnipeg, and then I, I think he might have played in. I think he was backing up in Montreal for. Yeah, he's bounced around some. Yeah, but you know what, man, he made it, and he's, and he's lasted. Yeah. You know? So I mean, good for him. But it's uh, it's always fun to see that kind of stuff. Yeah, it is. And, uh, you know, I think it surprises some people sometimes when, when we tell them, yeah, we played our high school hockey in Chicago and then like, God, nobody comes out of there. And it's like, well, some people have, you know, I, I always remind people that, you know, Eddie O played at Brother Rice. Yeah. Chris, yeah. Chris Chelios came out of Catholic League, out of, out of Carmel. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I want to say Bates Battaglia came out of Catholic League. Yeah. Um, and I think he won a cup with Carolina. So, yeah. You know. I, I still remember the day walking into Brother Rice. It was uh, my senior year. So you would have been, what, a sophomore. 
And uh, for whatever reason, Olchek came to the school that day for and gave know, a talk. And it was a Friday. And I, I know that because I was wearing my hockey jersey. Um, and for those listening, we had to wear a shirt and tie every day, except for Fridays. We could wear any shirt or jersey that had the school name on it. So us hockey players usually wore our jerseys. Um, and I'm walking in and they're, they're right outside the cafeteria. Mr. Antos turns around. He goes, Joe, Joe, come here. I want to introduce you to, and he starts saying, Eddie Olchek, you go, I know who it is, Mr. Antos. Uh, <laughs> and, and Eddie kind of laughed at it. And, uh, then, then he introduced me to, you know, Eddie and, you know, and when he found out I was goalie, he started laughing. He goes, yeah, I used to tell people, you know, my career is over. I'd probably wind up sleeping with old goaltenders, the old Reg Dunlap uh, quote. And he goes, and then I was at a dinner and Sarah Tooting, who played on the 98 Olympic women's team, was sitting there at the head table with us. And he goes, and I said that and looked over and was like, hmm, maybe I should retire that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, not all jokes age well. No, and that, that's exactly what he was saying. He's like, yeah, sometimes you gotta gotta evolve with it. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I still remember him saying, you know, he'd only drank alcohol twice in his life, out of the Stanley Cup and at his wedding. Yeah. Uh, two two very good reasons, and it was champagne both times. Good for him. Uh, although I think I heard on uh, the Barstool Chicago uh, podcast that he he had a third one in there when his son got married. Yeah, you know. That's crazy. Uh, but Dan, we, we've been talking for, I think, well over two hours now. So yeah. Uh, thank you. I, I think we, quick. yeah, I think we could talk a lot more and we probably should uh, connect a little more often. I, I've been trying to coordinate with some of the boys back in Chicago to get a weekend tournament team together, but uh, none, none of them are ever up for traveling. Cause I, I try and find one in uh, Madison or something where we'd yeah. all have to travel. They all like the idea until you, you're like, okay, the tournament costs us this much per person. And then we got to pay for hotels. They're all like, eh. Well, like, just remember all, all my gear is out here. So yeah, uh, there's no, there's no spares sitting in Chicago waiting for me. So it's, it's, you know, the airlines do let you travel with that, you know, sports equipment. Uh, I, yeah. I've done it. Um, but TJ Anarino, he and I have been talking. Uh, he works for Goose Island these days, and he's oh, like, nice. I, "I there's a uh, tournament down at Johnny's that Goose Island sponsors," and he's like, "I could probably get our team fee waived if we can get it, get enough guys together." So, um, you know, it's not as fun as all of us going away and just kind of having a a weekend. You know, yeah. it really only be me and Petritus driving in because Jerry Petritus lives maybe forty minutes from me still. Oh wow. Yeah, he trains dogs now in Wisconsin, but uh, you know we would that does probably not surprise me at all. No, he and I would probably drive in together, and I, I'd stay at my sister's house. He'd probably stay with his mom and dad or brothers or whatever, you know. So it'd be a little bit cheaper for us, but uh, yeah. And I saw one of the Rubikowskis brothers lives down in Rochester, Minnesota. I was like, huh. I, I wonder you know, which one. I think it's Matt. Yeah. Yeah, and that would make sense. But yeah, well, buddy, it's been fun talking to you. I appreciate you yeah. taking time out of your day and uh, we, we got to talk more. Say hi to mom and dad. I will. You do the same. Yeah, we'll um, do. And I, you know, to, to all the listeners, I apologize that we just sat here and talked and reminisced for two hours. But it's been <laughs> fun, it's been fun. Yeah. Yeah. So. Like you said, I'm, I'm going to have to get Donnie Merkel on here. And I don't think that one will go two hours because he just doesn't talk much, but uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, a lot of yes, no answers. 
Yeah, exactly. <laughs> J- Jimmy Saviano was in town a couple of years ago. So we got together and he's still good friends with Merkel. And yeah, he's saying the same thing. He, he's oh. kind of quiet. I, I guess he married uh, one of Vince Lombardi's granddaughters. Oh, wow. Yeah. Merkel, wow. not Saviano. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's like, that eh, doesn't surprise me. Yeah. I, I uh, ran into Jimmy after a Cubs game. Like it's gotta be 10, 12 years ago. Uh and like, he, like, I'm like, you remember me? He's like, yeah, you're Dan, the goalie. I'm like, all right, just making sure. Yeah. You know? so. He hasn't changed. Guys, so remember the game he broke his wrist, you know, just mm-hmm. the most innocent. It wasn't even a check. Like, he just ran into a guy and he comes to the bench, just hunched over. And, you know, I, I called Coach Pembroke over. I was like, something's wrong. And yeah, sure enough, he comes to school like two days later with pins coming out of his arm. And that pretty much. Ended his time at Brother Rice because Zabowski, he Zabowski didn't like him or Brian Walsh for some reason. Uh, yeah, you know, yeah, Brian Walsh. He had a cannon from the blue line. Yeah, um, yeah I remember Walsh uh, did. He either didn't play or didn't play that much. But yeah, I, I don't know why he didn't like him. But yeah, no, he he cut him senior year. Yeah, uh, yeah, I, I I didn't didn't get it because he he was he was a good defenseman, but he had a cannon. Mm-hmm. Um, and I loved it cause we get out there for practice and, you know, he would just line up at the blue line and practice his shot on me. So, you know, we were helping each other out. He was getting those shots on net and I was getting those long, long shots. I like to start off. Yeah. See the, the hardest shot I, I had from one of our teammates was Derek Malkwain. And, and he used to be able to make the puck actually like turn. Uh, I have no idea how the hell he did it, but if he shot it from far enough, he could get it to like dip. And yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he, he was a character in his own yeah. ways. Uh he was one of those kids where it's like, okay, what what day what kind of day are we gonna have, Derek? Because it could be a good day or a bad day with you. <laughs> you're gonna get a major in a game misconduct or you're gonna, you know, not get any penalties and score two goals today. Yeah, it, yeah. exactly. And the funny thing is like he knew it too. He's like, uh, I, I don't know, we gotta gotta see what, what kind of kid I am today. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's yeah. uh yeah, he was always an interesting cat too. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. Well, yeah. again, thank you. I'm going to let you go. It's, uh, not as late by you as it is by me. So I'm going to go get some dinner and, uh, enjoyed, enjoyed talking to you. Yeah, you too. Send my best to the family, Joe. And this has been great. I'm looking forward to going back and listening to all two and a half hours of it. It was great to reconnect with Dan. It's funny how time flies when you reconnect with old friends or teammates. As you heard, Dan and I spent a lot of time playing hockey together, either at the rink or in parking lots and tennis courts in the neighborhood. We talked for probably two and a half hours, but could have gone a lot longer given the opportunity. Be sure to follow Dan on social media at O'Donnell for Vista on Instagram and Dan for Vista on Twitter. Don't forget, There won't be a new episode next week as I'm taking some time off between Christmas and New Year. Use this time to catch up on past episodes or re-listen to your favorites. If you do re-listen to an episode, be sure to let me know what one it was. If enough people re-listen to the same episode, maybe I'll have a follow-up episode with that same guest. You can find me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and YouTube simply by searching for Wash Up Goalie and I'll pop up. Visit washupgoalie.com for some great hockey-related content, my beer league hockey video highlights, and of course, all podcast episodes. I've even got an idea up my sleeve for some new content as we move into the new year. 
If you want some wash-up goalie or tendy talk apparel, be sure to visit my Threadless shop by clicking the merchandise link on my website. If you like this podcast, go listen to the BLPA Big Show. It's the OG BLPA Podcast Network show where a couple of beer league players talk beer league hockey, draft experience shenanigans, and exploits from around the game. Be sure to check out the full lineup of hockey-related podcasts on the Hockey Podcast Network as well. There are too many lists here, but shows like the Straight Up Sabres podcast, the Jackets Debrief podcast, and the other Connor podcasts can all be found. I need to thank the band Zambonis for allowing me to use their music on my podcast. You can download their music on iTunes or listen wherever you stream music from. I'm always working on lining up other goalies to talk to. If you are a goalie or have connections to a goalie who I should talk to, shoot me an email at washupgoalie39 at gmail.com or send me a DM on social media. And let's not forget, if you're a brand who wants to sponsor the show, be sure to reach out to me. I'd be happy to talk. And finally, if you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe, rate, and comment on the podcast platform you're listening on. It's a quick action on your part that helps others find Tendy Talk. So, until next time, keep your stick on the ice and your body square to the puck. Snowflakes keep falling on my head. Just like the elk whose legs were too short for his sled. Nothing need be said. Oh, snowflakes keep falling on my head. They keep falling. Oi, oi. Snowflakes keep falling on my head. The elf in the chimney told me I'm not really me. But who else could I be? Science has no proof.